Hey now, it's Mike Gilbert, host of the Mike and JD Show, right here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Join JD by God Oliva and myself every Thursday night live on the Voices of Wrestling YouTube channel at 11.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time as we stay up all night discussing all the hottest stories in professional wrestling. You can also check us out right here on the Voices of Wrestling podcasting feed or you can subscribe to the Mike and JD Show feed. Now, enjoy the show. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. What do you guys want to talk about? You are listening to the flagship podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza. What has being annoying stopped you ever? That's an excellent point. Right. An excellent point. That's part of the charm. Rich Crage. Corey Graves screaming, perfectly legal, Cole. You can do anything you want in tribal combat. It's perfectly legal. While Paul Heyman is just yelling, tribal combat, tribal combat, tribal combat, tribal combat, tribal combat. I'm like, God damn it. Fuck all of you. Fuck this. All right. And we are live here on the flagship podcast. I am Rich. He is Joe. Joe, what's happening? How are you? Well, um, <laughs> got to do a show. What a day. What a week. Yeah. Well, the last 24 hours, um, you know, as you heard in the intro that Rich put together, that's 100% Rich, by the way. I had nothing to do with that. That was a great job. I listened to it uh, earlier today. You know, hard not to hold back tears by the end of it, but uh, arguably the greatest wrestler to ever live passed away at the age of 79 uh, i guess it was yesterday and uh there's actually been four wrestling deaths announced in the last 24 hours the most recent of which is uh something we had no idea we'd be talking about today um as my phone goes off unprofessionally here let me turn that off uh in the last hour or two before we went live, the news broke that Wyndham Rotunda, Bray Wyatt, passed away suddenly at the age of 36. I think this uh, took most people by surprise. Now it was an open secret that he had been uh, ill, very ill, uh, gravely ill, in fact, 
for a number of months, which is why he wasn't on television. Um, I, I, I was told he was, he was very ill and it wasn't a great situation, but that it, the family wanted it private. And, and at that point I just backed down and said, all right, well, I'm never talking about this ever. Um, you know, that's not my place, right. not on the dopey little show we do. Uh, but then he had made an apparent recovery. Yeah, it was August where... August 10th. I know that Sean Ross Sapp had reported that, yeah, things were looking yeah. good and they were talking and there were plans for something in September with him and, and looked like things were at least on the mend or at least, you know, looking more positive than they were the months prior where it was very hush-hush, very, you know, this is, this, is, this is tooth and nail, life and death type stuff going on. He had recovered enough to the point where they had even begun discussing a potential return and kicking around ideas for a return. So um, from that standpoint, even people who were privy to his uh, his illness and, and, and how rough it had gotten uh, were taken a bit back today, particularly with Triple H's statement that um, Mike Rotundo, his father, called him and, and called Triple H to let him know that, that uh, Bray had died unexpectedly. Um, so the news broke a few minutes before we hit the air that uh, they gave Sean, the family gave Sean Ross that permission to make it public that uh, Bray had con- contracted COVID at some point, which uh, triggered or exacerbated uh, uh, an existing heart issue. And uh, that, that was what shelved him. And then today he had a uh, heart attack and, uh, and died. So, um, that's all we know. We do this show live on Thursday night. It is seven fifty-two central on Thursday, and and like I said, that latest bit uh, from Sean Ross Sapp uh, broke maybe twenty minutes before we uh, before we hit the air here. So that's all we know. Uh, Wyndham Rotunda, thirty-six years old, passed away. He had four yeah. very young children. Um, you know, which, which makes it all the more worse. And of course, um, I, I, I don't know whether they were married or not, but he obviously his girlfriend, partner, whatever term people prefer to use these days was, was Jojo. And, uh, that's who, you know, he had his four children with. And I think they're all, I don't think any of them are even teenagers, no, all, oh God, no, no. They're all very, very young. I, I, I don't know the ages children. offhand, but no, and, very, uh, very young. Yeah, so um, that's uh, there hasn't been much else in the way of details. Um, I'm sure the more details will emerge as, as the days pass, but um, that's 36 years old. It's utterly ridiculous. Yeah, that's, that's how old um, I am, so that's... <laughs> Yeah, it's, don't love that number. I, I hate it. seeing that number. It was, it, you know, it's another thing where you're just like, shit. That's that's me. That's you know, that's me unexpectedly passing away tomorrow. It, it sucks. You know what I mean? That's that's way too yeah. young, especially and, with four kids. You know that 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 is the real tragedy of 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 it all. Is four, that those those four kids? And I think I just looked it up. The first one was born in 2019. So yeah, we're talking very very young kids. It's 2019. Oh, I, are you no? Are you sure? I, I thought I saw. Uh, pretty sure. I mean, they D- JoJo's only she's not even thirty yet. I don't think, and he's yeah, thirty six. I, I, I mean, thought, how old can these kids be? Yeah, I don't know the age of his child. I I thought for I thought he had one that was over ten, but either way, it, oh, he may have. You know four. what? I don't know if he maybe had 
from a prior relation. I, I again, I, I don't know. We're just doing this yeah. thing on the air, so maybe he's got that's the some case. Young kids, that's the point. Let's leave it at that. He's got some young kids, and um, you know, it's, oh, they're so. from his ex-wife. So he he had two kids with the next wife before. But I, I don't know. I don't know how old those kids are. But the ones with JoJo are twenty nineteen. Regardless, got you, got you. So four kids total, and um, all very young. So, um, you know that that's that, and you know, and as we said over the last. 24 hours i mean just brutal uh the terry funk news and we'll get to terry funk in a minute abe jacobs who was a a law who who was believed to be the world's oldest living wrestler when he passed away uh at the age of 95 right i saw mooney had had that fact that he he believes and i I would i would trust you know i don't don't know if i trust him on the gambler (laughs) passing away i guess that wasn't his fault uh the gambler passing away but uh yeah he he's an encyclopedia of wrestling history so if that's what you know he said or or he had done the research on it hard to mike mooneyham you mean uh, mike Mike mooneyham yeah yeah yeah. i believe he was the one that said yeah he's the oldest living wrestler and i i would have to assume that he you know He's a wrestling encyclopedia. Like I said, he, he's, he's a knowledge of the histories uh, of wrestling. So yeah, I'd imagine that that probably is indeed true. And uh, man, was well, really old. That, but not only that, but Mike Mooneyham's area of expertise in right. the Mid-Atlantic area. Right, right, and, right. And he was also personal friends with Abe Jacobs. Right. So, um, and, and yeah, with the whole gambler thing, he just, it was just a different guy who wrestled as the gambler. He wasn't even wrong about that. It was just a, a different man who had passed away. Um, who had, again wrestled in that area, but um, but yeah. So Abe Jacobs, who was believed to be the world's oldest living wrestler at the age of ninety five, he was a um, Mid Atlantic mainstay. That's where I think most people now. I mean, there aren't a lot of people who probably have vivid memories of Abe Jacobs' matches. I mean, he probably he peaked in the early nineteen sixties. So um, you know, I don't know that I've seen much of Abe Jacobs. I know that someone on our discord actually had a tremendous find. They found a tag match with Terry Funk and Abe Jacobs. Whoa. Wow. I didn't see that. So I actually, <laughs> which, I'm going to pull that up right which now. Speaks to, it also speaks to Terry Funk's longevity, which we're going to get to in a little bit that, yeah, that, 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 that match would even be possible. Yeah, for sure. So, um, I could find this, uh, relatively quickly here uh you know what of course i can't now but there there's i'm i'm sure if you go it it was off of youtube so just type terry funk and abe jacobs into youtube and there's actually a tag match which is prob i'm guessing is from the mid-atlantic area which involved terry funk and abe jacobs and then believe it or not there was a fourth wrestling related death announced in the last uh 24 hours rich landrum who Again, you know, would be best known. Uh, he was the host of Worldwide Wrestling in the late 70s. Again, this would be the Mid-Atlantic area as well. Um, the Worldwide Wrestling, which was, you know, Jim Crockett's television show, that, that eventually morphed into WCW Worldwide. Right. Through its various incarnations eventually. Um, and, and Rich Landrum was a wrestling announcer on that show in the late 70s, maybe even into the early 80s. Let me pull up a... I believe he was there Mike. until, uh, uh, in doing my research before the show, somewhere in there between 82 or 83, yeah, is when he left. So, Yeah, according to Mike Sempervivi, who does a history podcast on Mid-Atlantic. and Which and is great, by the way, if you ever listen to that show. It's really, really good. Yeah, I have, and I and I think he's the one who actually broke the news. If it wasn't Mike, I, you know, he it's where I saw it first, anyway. But um, yeah, so Rich Landrum passes away as well. Um, 
so four wrestling related deaths, including, um, you know, the most shocking of which was the 36 year old Wyndham Rotunda, who um, I'm sure we'll have more on uh, next week. But, um, you know, just uh, it's always a shock when it's when it comes unexpected and it's uh, someone that young. But um, I don't know. I guess uh, we were planning on doing a career retrospective of Terry Funk, and we're still going to do that. But obviously, it would have been an enormous omission to not talk about the three other people who passed away yeah. in this wild. Well, I, you know, I think you know Jacobs died on the twenty first, and Landrum I think may have died a few weeks ago too, but it wasn't. Um, made public until today. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But the point here is within the last 24 hours, we've had these four wrestling related deaths. And when it comes to Terry Funk, I mean, you're talking about, as I said at the top, there are plenty of people who would tell you that he is the greatest wrestler to ever live. And uh, whether you agree with that or not, I don't think many people would argue with that very hard because there's certainly a case to be made that Terry Funk is in fact the greatest pro wrestler to ever live. And when you think about, it's funny because um, when you think about Terry Funk, it's entirely possible that you, you, have, you take 10 fans and they'd all think of 10 different eras of Terry Funk. You know, whether it's teaming with his brother, Dory in all Japan uh, in the late seventies and well, really from the early seventies through the, through the uh, mid to late eighties um, as just beloved foreigners, which was absurd. I mean, normally the Gaijins were heels, especially in those days, but they would battle the heels when they would go to Japan, you know, they were baby faces. Yeah. And um, you know, there's that era of Terry Funk. There's when he was the NWA world champion from, I believe late 1975 to early 1977. And, you know, Dave Meltzer, who was close personal friends with Terry Funk and knew him as well as anyone. Um, as he noted, you know, the only reason that that Terry Funk NWA world title run ended is because it, it, it broke up his marriage to his lifelong, uh, you know, childhood, literal childhood sweetheart, who he then eventually married but the rigors of defending the NWA world title, which in those days you had to travel literally all over the world. It was a hellish schedule. His wife left him. And uh, to win his wife back, he gave up the NWA world title, lost it to Harley Race, and they reconciled. And I don't know if they had divorced and remarried or just reconciled or whatever the case yeah, was. Yeah, not, not sure, but together. yeah, still together till uh, she passed till away. What, 2016, 2016, right? She passed away. Whatever year it was. Yeah, recently. Though. Or, yeah, it was yeah. Re yeah, 2016, 2018, somewhere in that range. It, it was very, very recent, though. And they remained together, yeah, until her death. And, um, you know, if that's not romantic, I don't know what is. That's you know, it. Uh, yeah, I read that line. I was like, man, <laughs> the things, you know, little sacrifices that I have to do on a given day, that you have to do on a given day, that anybody listening to has to do on a given day to their partner or whatever, this man has to give up the the top prize the in his, his industry, profession. the pinnacle of the industry, the pinnacle of your profession. Give that up to win her back is is man, if that back doesn't win his wife back. Yep. <laughs> if that doesn't and, and, you know, that's just that's incredible, right? Like that's that's what an incredible story. You can make a movie out of that. That's yeah, awesome. And um 
you know, and he never got another crack at that title. I was going to say that was uh, it, right? I, I was just scrolling right now just to make sure no, that I was he, indeed true. Time. Yeah, one time only, 400 days, 400 plus days uh, with the title, and then that was it, one and done. He he defeated uh, Jack Briscoe for that title in 1975, and the 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 story behind that match was. Uh, Funk was the heel. It was supposed to be the storyline was it was supposed to be Jack Briscoe versus Dory Funk Jr. And Terry replaced Dory in the match at the last minute. And he won the match when Jack Briscoe went for a figure four leg lock and Terry rolled him up in a small package. Terry wins the NWA world title. And Jack Briscoe, I remember him telling Gordon Soley, I made one mistake, and that's all it took to lose my title. And, uh, you know, and he didn't make any excuses about facing Terry instead of Dory. But when Briscoe told Terry Funk, you're going to have to defend this title in one week right back here in Florida against Jack Briscoe. And Terry, I remember that Terry was like, you mean Amarillo? And, uh, Soli was like, no, the match is going to take place right here in Florida. You know, Gordon Soli. <laughs> right, right. And, and he's like, yeah, you're, it's in the contract. It's going to happen you, right here. Championship wrestling you, from Florida and Tampa. You didn't read the contract, Terry, because right. you replaced your brother, Dory. There was a clause in the contract that if Jack Briscoe were to lose, he would get another crack at the title right here in Florida. You know, and then Terry, you know, is, you know, all irate. And then, uh, and then, and then, uh, it's great because then uh, Soli Soli goes, you know. And to be fair, Terry, at one point the referee was injured during the match, and it was very clear that you were pinned for at least five full seconds. <laughs> and and Terry Funk turns to him and totally deadpans. He goes, "I don't recall that." <laughs> Just classic. That's great, great wrestling, man. Pro wrestling. I don't recall that, Gordon Soli. You know. Uh, we, we were having a discussion about that in uh, I forget if it was Discord or or, or, or Slack, the Voice Wrestling Discord, uh, but we were talking about old school heels and and the Briscoes actually came up on the flip side of that when they did their heel turn uh, in in Mid Atlantic uh, all those years later. And I just said I, I, I remarked that like and we've talked about this before. I think we talked about it when Jack Briscoe passed away and and, and or no we talked about it. Sorry, not when Jack, he passed away when we uh, doing Hall of Fame audio about the Briscoes and I went back and watched audio, yeah. watched a ton of old, uh, old Briscoe stuff and, and especially that heel turn and it had that classic thing like you're talking about and and, and just classic pro wrestling where the guys would just they just they just lie to the you know the they'd lie through their teeth and that was fine. Like, or, or they didn't lie. They just kind of went, Oh, I don't remember. Like, like just there, there was a, a, a famous scene where, um, they were beating up uh, Ricky steamboat, I believe the Briscoes. And, and, you know, I think it was, I think it was Bob Caudill who, who was doing the interviews, obviously with mid Atlantic. Um, it was Bob, Bob Caudill. Yeah. Bob Caudill's like, well, we can clearly see from the footage that you're attacking Ricky steamboat. And he's like, Oh no, no, he tripped. And I was helping him up. And Caudill's yeah, like, are yeah. you Brad, Jack, what are you talking about? It's and it's like, they're like beating on him. And Jack's like, no, no, see here. He, he fell. And we were just trying to, you know, get him up onto his feet again. <laughs> and they're just like beating him and beating him and beating him or whatever. And yeah. Bob Caudill's just apoplectic about this. He's like, what, what are you talking about, Jack? Like we're watching the footage. You're clearly beating this guy up. But like, that's Jerry, we can see you. But that's I love that classic bit of pro wrestling evil where it's like, no, no, it didn't happen. Yeah, (laughs) no. 
What are you talking about? No, no. It's like, that's what heels used to be. Now they're, you know, everyone's trying to be Heath Ledger Joker and be evil and ha ha ha, I'm so evil and and, and cunning. And, and back in the day, it was just like, nah, I didn't lose. They're like, yeah, we saw you lose. Like, yeah, no, I didn't. Yeah, just a total... <laughs> little assholes just assholes right, just, you know? and the heat is that you're yeah, everybody yeah. knows that these guys are lying the announcers yeah. know they're lying <laughs> you know what i mean the the interviewers know they're lying everybody in the audience knows they're lying everybody watching at home knows they're lying but they're just like oh no 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 <laughs> you know that's the heat that's the heat and that's yeah. good heat man that i'll take that heat over oh my god look how evil i am i'm so i'm just manipulating all these people and i'm so evil it's like oh, i'll take i'll take this over over that but uh yeah terry then terry's the master of that too yeah, so a total deadpan response to Soli. And, <laughs> right, you know, I don't recall. <laughs> and that's such a good angle to do, like to get the title off of Jack Briscoe, who, you know, that was his uh, second reign, I believe. And, but, but really, you know, he had the, he, he dropped it to like Giant Baba for a couple days. So really, Jack Briscoe had, you know, effectively, he'd been the champion since probably 1973. And, um, you know, who knows? I mean, in some of these territories, they may not have even recognized the Baba, you know, title, the quickie title switch, but technically it was his second title reign and Funk ended it. But it was such a good angle to where it's like to give him an out, right? Oh, it was supposed to be Dory. And then, you know, he puts the claws in. But anyway, he, he didn't lose it back to Jack Briscoe. Jack Briscoe never won the title again. And uh, Funk held it for over a year before. Uh, as we said, he 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 wanted to put his his marriage back together, so um, he gave up the title and he lost it to Harley Race. And Harley Race went on to have that uh, monster title yeah, run. Nine hundred nine hundred and twenty six days. I, I remember that number off the top of my head. Nine hundred and twenty six days. And again, te- if you really want to get technical about it, I mean, he 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 had quickie changes. You know, the the first Dusty title win in seventy nine was only a couple days. Harley Race wins it right back. Then he trades it with Giant Baba in Japan, and he wins it right back. He ha- he loses it to Tommy Rich in that you know infamous title change, and Tommy Rich holds it for three or four days, and Harley Race wins it right back before he finally loses it to Dusty Rhodes again in 1981, and then that was the start of the Dusty Rhodes Ric Flair era of the title. Uh, you know Harley would win it, uh, you know uh, one more time officially you know, in, in 83. And then of course the, if you want to count the New Zealand change with flair, but the point is when race beat, uh, Terry Funk, it really kicked off. Yeah. Like you say, 926 days, but in reality, that was a years long run that where he just dominated the title and really had only lost it for a few days here or there. Right. Right. But, yeah. Um, he had the, he had the 926 officially. He had the, well, I, man, if you want to actually officially the one, the first one was 926. I'm, I'm going on cage match now to get all the others. So he wins it on, like you said, in 1977 over, over funk, then holds it for 926 days, loses it to dusty roads, gets it back five days later, starts a 66 day run, Loses it to Giant Baba, who has it for seven days. Then he starts another 302-day run. <laughs> then he loses it to Baba again for five days. Then starts a 230-day run. Oh, it's so like, he had he he yes. did two quickie changes with Baba. He did, yes. He, yeah, yeah. He did okay. uh, two, one in 79 and one in 80. Yeah, so I always remember yeah. that first one. But I always forget that he followed it up by winning the title and keeping it for another year <laughs> and a half. I remember Baba, again, so, Baba yeah. had the quickie one. Baba had the quickie one with Jack Briscoe too. So Baba had uh, three total reigns that probably didn't even come out to 20 days, you know, probably a week apiece. 
you know, he would just as long as the guy was in Japan, <laughs> they could lose yeah. it on the way out. Yeah, <laughs> right. When's your flight home? Cool. All right. Well, now you're <laughs> here. You go. Here's the title back. Bye. Yeah. So, um, as for Terry, I mean, that was it for him as NWA World Champion. As we said, he he would he would never um, win that title again. But uh, you know, as we said, you know, obviously he started in the in the mid to late '60s. Amarillo is father's territory. There's very scant footage of that territory. Period. Um, I know for match of the week, I found a Dory Funk senior match and i believe that's one of the only dory funk senior matches you know there's very few of him to even exist on on tape especially from that era um you know and then by the early 70s by 1972 he was already terry was already linked up with baba and doing the um the all japan tours by 72 and then of course he formed a legendary tag team with his brother and battled all of those teams i i had just watched the day before he died the uh i want to say the 1978 real world tag league final against uh baba and saruta which was a dreadfully boring match i mean not exactly a, a glory <laughs> yeah no it doesn't but, sound but but he had his moments he um he there was a great spot early in the match where because funk had a rivalry with jumbo saruta which I think most people are probably familiar with. Um, there was a point where Baba tags in, you know, giant Baba, and he comes in and uh, they like lock up and Baba just physically dominant. And, and Terry wants no part of this. And he just, uh, he turns around and tags Dory. But before they switch out, he turns back to Baba and he puts one hand behind his back and puts out the other hand and just gives him a quick handshake and gets the hell out of there. Basically saying, <laughs> I want no part of you. My brother's going to handle this. I'll get in there when Jumbo's in there. Me and you are done. We're finished for the night. I, you're too much for me. You're seven feet tall. Uh, you're a freak of nature. No thanks. But that's Terry Funk. He was just so... Um, there, there's all those uh, little moments. I saw uh, Dylan Hales uh, put out a funny tweet. He said that... Uh, and I had completely forgotten about this, but there was a match in ECW where Terry lifts up a toolbox... To, to whack somebody with a toolbox, but while the, while it's over his head, the, the, the toolbox opened up and all the tools came tumbling. Out. <laughs> I hope he took a bump. Fucking, fucking wrenches and and screwdrivers and shit. And you know he just he he, he sold the fucking yeah, tools falling out. Like I'm probably you know the, the, you know those wobbly Terry legs. You know, and <laughs> yeah, I, right. I, I had completely forgotten about that. You know, but um, there's just uh, so much of that with Terry, and and you know a lot of those. 70s tags in all japan look like i said the one you know the, the one i just watched with baba and and saruta uh, i believe it's 78 i look i me personally i don't think that you know how i feel about dory though I, dory funk jr to me is one of the most boring wrestlers of all time i don't get dory i don't like dory um and you're talking you know the the 1970s all japan style here but as their run moved along, you know, they would have these wild tag matches with some of the more wild heels that would come into all Japan. And those are some of the greatest, the most classic tag team matches of all time, you know, and, and, and they were just uh, so popular, the funks with the fans in Japan. And, you know, he, and, and, and you know, they were going to Japan pre-1972, before New Japan and All Japan, back in the JWA days, Terry Funk and Dory Funk were going to Japan. Um, 
you know, back when Anoki and Baba were a tag team, you know, Terry and Dory were having matches against those, you know, in the early seventies. Right. That's yeah. People don't know that JWA was was the 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 pretty much the only like major major you know Japanese wrestling company. Uh, and then what happened was is due to you know a bunch of differences and and we're gonna push this guy over this guy or whatever. They both left. They both basically said, "Fuck it, we're gonna." Noki and Baba. Yeah, we're Inoki both gonna leave Noki and Baba and, and form their own companies. New Japan and All Japan. So yeah, the JWA yeah. was you know the and and the Funks, you know, extremely loyal to Giant Baba, you know. So they they went and, and Baba then took on Jumbo Saruta as his tag partner, and they had all those matches with uh with with the Funks and and Terry had his rivalry with Jumbo and um. You know, and and back in the United States, I guess around that time is when he would have started his years long on and off rivalry with Dusty Rhodes, you know, and the iconic Dusty Sucks Eggs uh, T-shirt. And, um, you know, they they had their wars in Florida and and Georgia and great promos uh, between the I mean, you can just imagine. But, yeah, going back today, I was I was watching. There's a great playlist on YouTube. That's just like Terry Funk's best promos. And I just hit play on that. And that's where a lot of the stuff in the clips of the intro came is I was just watching all these. And I'm like, I could just make an intro. I'm just going to hit and the ones I like. I'm just going to save and, 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 and do. And, um, yeah, you could just go. And I think it was like two hours long of just him cutting promos and a bunch of them were those ones in Dusty and uh, with Dusty. And as you can absolutely imagine, it's Terry Funk and it's 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 Dusty Rhodes. So it's just absolutely incredible. And I think this is the point where because I watched a bunch of stuff. I watched, you know, some of the, the, uh, the Terry Funk promos he did when he was with Dory or whatever. And I think this time period is when you really start getting the Terry Funk that I think most people are kind of familiar with. I guess the Terry Funk that that probably put himself on the map as being like not only a great wrestler, just a tremendous wrestler, but one of the best characters, one of the best promos, one of the best all around guys in the business was around, I think around this period, you know, watching these promos, this is when he gets it. He figures it out and he clicks and he's just a different animal from the rest of the eighties to the night until, till, till ever, you know, and that, then I think this is the period when Terry, the Terry Funk that I remember, the Terry Funk that I know really started coming in, into form. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, you know, and the and the Dusty Rhodes feud is. I mean, it's hard to say what his most because again, he he lasted, he wrestled so long in so many places. The, the the Dusty feud would be up there, but there's the Lawler stuff in Memphis, you know, in that same era, in the early '80s. There's obviously, you know, Ric Flair, you know, 1989, Cactus Jack, in the mid '90s. Uh, as I said, Jumbo, uh, the, the Ravens Funks versus the uh, yeah the Funks versus the Briscoes, the Funks versus uh, Jumbo and Baba, uh, the Funks versus all those uh, all Japan tag teams um, from that era. So you have a lot of different places to turn if you're talking about uh, great Terry Funk feuds. Um, you know, uh, Funk and Race. I mean, uh, Terry Funk and Harley Race. I mean, they had. Um, uh, you know, a match in Houston in, in 1977, which is considered an all-time great NWA world title match. You know, it's 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 almost impossible. And then, um, you know, again, and then by the by the late 70s and and into the 80s, when you had people like you know Abdul the Butcher and and people like that coming into all Japan, they would have those just those matches. I think would probably hold up better for some of our listeners who aren't into maybe the slower style, because some of those uh, Gaijin heels who came into all Japan really took 
Dory Funk out of his comfort zone, you know, and, and he had to work a different style of match. Terry could do everything, you know, and did and, and showed that throughout his career. But, um, you know, you see a different side of Dory Funk Jr. when they're wrestling like the Sheik and Abdul the Butcher. Yeah, I watched, I watched one of those matches earlier uh, today, and <laughs> it was a wild match, as you can imagine. Where, and, and Abdul just stabbing Terry in the arm, and Terry's arm is just gushing blood. I'm like, Jesus Christ, what is going yeah, on here? And, and the crowd's just electric. And yeah, you said, Dory's got a little more juice and a little bit more energy in him. He can't go in there and grapple and kind of work. He's got to fight a little bit. And, and he could do it. He could. He just, you know, uh, like you said, it, yeah, it, no, he needed yeah, yeah. those guys to kind of take him out of his comfort zone a little bit and I, I yeah i do i like those matches a lot i think i'd rather watch an abdullah which which seems mind-blowing that i'd rather watch an abdullah the butcher and and, and the sheik versus the funks match than you know jumbo and, and and baba but it's just the this like you said it holds up a little bit better with 2023 eyes where i'm like all right, all right you know sometimes those funks through to you know baba matches you got to settle in for you know 35 to 40 minutes of you know very methodical whereas this is like bell ring chaos they're stabbing each other, blood everywhere. It's it, it's got a different atmosphere, a different different vibe about it, and yeah, it definitely it holds up. It, it it does actually hold up pretty good. And then in between all those great all Japan tours and real world tag leagues, at, which they won three times, they won it in seventy seven, seventy nine, and eighty two. In seventy eight, they had the forty five minute draw with Baba and Saruta. That's a match I just watched, and then. Yo, Baba and Saruto ended up winning it by one point. And um, I don't remember who won. Let me look up real quick who won in 80 and 81. 80 and 81. 80 was Baba and Saruta again. Uh, the Funks finished tied for second. And 81 was uh, Brody and Snuka with Baba and Saruta and Funk and the Funks finishing tied one point behind with 11 points. And they actually had another 45-minute draw, which gave the tag league to Brody and Snuka because uh, neither team was able to. Well, let me take a look because uh, let's do some real-world tag league math. So Baba and Saruta. <laughs> From 30 years uh, <laughs> almost 40 at this point years ago. Yeah. Well, they had a double count out with Brody and Snuka. Okay. Uh, Terry, Terry and Dory lost to Brody and Snuka. I don't know what the tiebreakers were back then. But it looks like Brody and Snooker were going to win that thing no matter what. But Baba was just avoiding any bullshit, and he just he had <laughs> Baba. With Brody. He was like, whatever, so man, they, fine. <laughs> they just went to a draw, and and, and, and Brody and Snooker won it. But then in '82, uh, it was the Funks winning their third and final uh, tag league, and um, you know, and 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 you know, in between, like I said, the the stuff with Dusty, the stuff with Jerry Lawler, and then in 1983. Terry actually had his first retirement, which was after the tag match with Hanson and Gordy. And that's the now famous and maybe the greatest wrestling promo of all time, the forever. Yep. Um, and, and which you actually had in the intro and, and that's that whole promo I, and that match too is accessible, but that whole, you know, post-match promo is accessible. People should go watch that if they have never seen it before. Um, he's got the blood covering his face. And yeah, his, blood and you know, tears. Yeah, tears he's filled, and... it's sweat, blood, and tears just covering his face as the crowd and is you know, just... You know, talk about crowd connection. Yeah. It's just those people, they, they, they quite literally love the man. They love him. And, um, you know, I, I don't know how much of what he's doing is work and how much of what he's doing is shoot. Who cares? Who cares? It's just a great emotional scene. The likes of which I don't, you know, it's so rare and I don't know if it's even possible anymore. It's just, it, it's just an incredible all time 
uh, scene. And of course, his retirement lasts about six months. And, uh, you know, he retired 19 times. Yeah, it's, it's terrible. So. <laughs> Strap in. There's um, going to be a lot of them. And then he retired, but <laughs> then he came back. Yeah. You know, some of them, I guess, were he met. Some of them were, you know, probably just to, you know, I can make some money coming back. Some of them may have been legitimate. You know, I don't know the ins and outs. You know, Meltzer will probably have better details on that sort of thing. But it wasn't long. He was back by 84. And, um, you know, traveling right back to Japan in between working the various territories in the United States. Uh, even when he came into the WWF in 85, he was still going back to Japan. Like that was part of the deal. He, he was insanely loyal to Baba. And part of his deal was he was still going to make those all Japan tours when he was with the WWF. And when he went to the WWF, he was almost immediately programmed with Hogan. Um, he was WWF to an extent they basically just made him a heel over the top cowboy. Yeah, he was he, a cowboy outlaw. Like, yeah, he 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 was chaps, right? Had and and you know, it was 80s WWF. So everybody, you either you know, and yeah, everyone had a had a gimmick in that. You know, you're either draping a snake on your opponent after you beat them, or you were stuffing a, a hundred dollar bill down their mouth, or you were bringing a fucking macaw or a fucking two, whatever kind of bird Coco had to the ring, or Matilda was chasing you around, or or you were getting your hair cut by Brutus Beefcake. Right, whatever Terry you were, Funk, it was up to a thousand. <laughs> whatever that, yeah. that may be, you had to be. And you had a gimmick. Yeah, and you had the post match gimmick. Tugboat and, was so a literal Terry, boat. <laughs> earthquake was yeah. literally an earthquake. Yeah, it was. And so Terry had the branding iron. That was his gimmick. Right. And he would beat the jobbers and then he would brand them on their ass or the back of their thigh. And, you know, it was like a fucking ink stamp or whatever. But the commentators were like, he's, he's got that branding iron and he's, brand, you know, and it, it, he would brand his opponent. Right, on the, on the promos. Put and, that uh, thing away. You're going to put an eye out or whatever. You know, with, yeah, and he was mad Virginia. by Jimmy Hart. So you had, you know, the, the branding iron served well as a, as a as a heel gimmick too, as a, you know, to help cheat or whatever. But, um, you know, he went right into a feud with Hulk Hogan. And the thing with the Hogan-Funk matches where, you know, we talked about Dory getting taken out of his comfort zone with those wild, bloody brawls in all Japan. This was Hogan getting taken out of his comfort zone because these matches with Funk, when Funk came to the WWF and was working that heel gimmick, he worked like a fucking wild man. And you go watch some of those Hogan matches. The Saturday night's main event match is probably the most famous one. But there's also a match from Philly. Is it Philly or Boston? I think it's Philly. Which again, it's just a it's a fucking well all any any of them that you could find. I mean, they're all just absolute riots. And and Hogan has to work that wild, brawling, what would come to be known really as hardcore style with, you know, wrapping the ring announcers fucking microphone cord around their necks and 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 getting thrown out of the ring. And um, you know, they were very they were not the the formula Hogan matches of the day where, where it was a big giant wrestler, whether it was big John stud or King Kong Bundy or Kamala or Sika, or, you know, you go right down the line, beat Hogan down for six or seven minutes. Hogan does the, the Hulk up and the no sell hits the big boot and the leg drop. We all go home in 11 minutes like that. Those were not what these funk matches funk really took him out of his comfort zone and, 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 and had some of Hogan's best matches, probably Hogan's best matches of that 85, 86 sort of era. Um, but the run didn't last long. And, you know, he famously in his book, and by the way, I'm surprised at how many people don't realize he wrote a book. 
because I encountered a lot of. I'm not sure comments. that I knew until a couple years ago uh, uh, about it. So, I have a funny story about that book. I I have a friend who um, who ran into Raven at the Borgata Casino in Atlantic City. Of course, <laughs> probably, <laughs> probably in in this had to be twenty years ago, two thousand, maybe even longer. Uh, maybe when the Borgata, I guess, was built in the early 2000s. You're asking the wrong guy. You're asking the wrong guy about Atlantic City I'm Hotel out loud. lore. I'm okay. Out loud. Oh, I see. Okay. Probably 2000, 2001. It's probably about 20 years ago. So my friend runs into uh, Raven in the poker room of the Borgata Casino. And uh, he recognizes him. So they have, he, he says, hey, you know, you're Raven, whatever. And um, at the end of the conversation, Raven goes to my friend, he goes, hey, have you ever read Terry Funk's book? My friend goes, nah, as a matter of fact, I haven't. Goes into his back pocket, pulls out the book. Excuse me? Yeah. Hands it to my friend and goes, here you go, it's great. It'll change your life, you know, and then he just walks away. He took Terry Funk's book out of his back pocket. <laughs> hands like, it to my was friend. Was he still reading it? Like, is he... I, I, I have know. so many questions. I have so many questions that I need answers he to. He hands him the book, and he just walks away. And they part ways, and he never sees him again. So he got Raven's copy of Terry Funk's book, um, which is fucking bizarre. But they, and, and it just he just Raven was like, I guess maybe he had just finished reading it. Like, oh, <laughs> that well, has to be are... like he brought it to the casino, or he was at the pool. He was he was posted up at the pool earlier. I don't know if the hotel has a pool. Um, I'd imagine this place has a pool, right? And he finished okay. it and said, ah, well, I guess... This guy's a fan. Maybe he'd appreciate it. But why would I put it in my back pocket, though? I'm trying to think of in my situation, if I had just finished a book, I don't think the back pocket is where the book goes. I think I would... Was he reading know. it on the floor of the poker room between games? Maybe he was waiting for a game. And yeah, and then he, he finished it, put it down, and said, all right, well, back pocket it goes. And then the next guy walked up to him and said, hey, I'm a wrestling fan. He went, good. I don't want to take this home. So, <laughs> like, yeah. maybe your friend was doing him a so, favor. He was like, ah, I was going to throw this out anyway. Here you go. So, so yeah, many questions. So, uh, it's incredible. Yeah. I, <laughs> I was looking for my copy, and I, I can't. I uh, I don't know what happened to mine. I, I, I was, because, you know, I obviously, I was like, oh, I'm going to reread this, and I can't fucking find it. So I think I let someone borrow it and I never got it back. Um, which is depressing, but um, where was I at? Oh, yeah. So in Terry Funk's book, he tells the story of how he gave notice to Vince. He left Vince a handwritten note that said, Vince, my horse is sick. I think it's going to die. And that was it. And he left the WWF. And um, as legend goes, when he came back for the Chainsaw Charlie run in 1998, the first thing Vince said to him was, how's your horse? So I don't know if that's true or not. I hope it's true because that's extremely funny. It's a great, it's if, a great uh, bit by Vince too there too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like to, to hold that, he probably was annoyed as hell that the guy quit on him, but then he let time heal all wounds or whatever, but knew I'm going to, I'm going to ask him about that fucking horse. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> second he sees him, I, yeah. how's the horse, pal? <laughs> yeah. I, mean, back I, then I totally it wasn't... buy it. I, why would Terry Funk lie about that? Right? Well, you know. Worker's worker. You I know, think, you but know. I don't know. I, I could see that's a very Vince thing to do. Oh, hey, hey, Terry, how's the horse? <laughs> you know I, I mean, like, I could see, see it. Vince saying that. You could absolutely see him walking up in his little suit or whatever. Hey, Terry, how's the horse? Yeah, I see you yeah, like, you know, slaps him on the back and then moves on. Because <laughs> yeah. you know, like. the match at WrestleMania 2, 
which was Terry and Hoss Funk, yes. which, of course, was Dory Funk. <laughs> I got to call him uh, Hoss. Well, yeah, in total Vince fashion, he felt that Dory wasn't a, a tough-sounding name, so uh, they changed his name to Hoss. Um, Dory, that's ah, a sissy name, Dory. We're going to call you Hoss. <laughs> and uh, then they, they had Jimmy Jack Funk, which was Jesse Barr, which was, uh, you know part of the bar family from portland so they gave them a third brother jimmy jack funk who actually um he was essentially i i think he replaced one of them when i don't know if terry and dory left at the same time and they may have either i don't i i can't remember the lineage of the uh, fake funk brother but he either replaced one that left or was the pin eater for the two when they were there. I can't quite remember, but Jimmy Jack Funk, Jesse Barr, he stayed on with the WWF almost until the nineties doing that gimmick. Now he was a, he was a TV enhancement guy. He never really got pushed, but um, he was one of those respected jobbers, you know, that would get a little offense in, but, uh, but ultimately lose. But yeah, WrestleMania two match with Terry and Haas. They beat junkyard dog and Tito Santana, which actually is a pretty decent match for that era of WWF. Um, that was pretty much it for Terry. He, he didn't wrestle, you know, I think he probably saw the writing on the wall. You know, he had finished up the program with Hogan. Uh, he had his mat because the Saturday night's main event match, that was the end of the house show loop. And that's what they would do in those days. You know, once they were through with the house show loop, Hogan would then blow off the feud on TV with his opponent on Saturday night's main event. Uh, once there was no more money to be made once they did the whole loop. And, and I guess, when Funk saw himself booked with Junkyard Dog, he's like, it's only going to go downhill from here. I already worked with Hogan. And I'm in a mid-card match at WrestleMania. It's probably time to move on. So um, he left. And, of course, you know, was still going back to All Japan. And, um, you know, and that, I guess, brings us to 89, right? Yeah, with well, we, we should stuff, we so. should briefly touch on, I, I, I don't know if we gave it enough time, the, uh, the Lawler feud in... Uh, uh, in yeah. Memphis, in sure, what is eighty eighty two? I believe it all kind of kicked off. Yeah, I guess yeah. I forget exactly yeah. the, the major part of it. I guess it started eighty one, and then the major some of the major parts of it, um, you know, going on through eighty two. But yeah, eighty one probably the, the the bulk of it. But uh, obviously, a very 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 memorable run with, with with Jerry Lawler. Of course, the the most famous is April eighty one. So I guess yeah, most of it was eighty one. Uh, April eighty one, the the empty arena match with Terry Funk and and, and Jerry Lawler, and uh, I watched that uh, earlier today as well, and that's. That's something to behold. I mean, there's been a lot of other, you know, empty arena matches and, and attempts at an empty arena match, but but nothing, man. I mean, th- this is the way that these guys did it at this time in Memphis with Lance Russell and just, you know, the professionalism of a Lance Russell and and him constantly reminding everybody, well, just so you know, there's only a cameraman and a photographer here. It's just us three. There's no one else here. And there's, you know, we're, we're, we're not even sure if we're going to show this footage. I don't even know if this is going to make air. Am I even plugged in? Like, like he, he's selling the chaos as well. He's, you know, grabbing his mic cable and trying to figure out. He's talking to the cameraman. Hey, are you, do we know what, like, are we sure these guys are even showing up or what are we even doing here? I, I don't even know if this is going to make air. What do we, you know, he, he sort of, does a really really great job of selling you know Lance Russell does a really great job of selling sort of the weirdness of this all and just saying I can't believe it's come to this I can't believe that these two guys can't settle it in the ring and this is what they need to do and you know that's it's um you know the, the 
clock is like they 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 agree to get there at one p.m. Uh, on this day. At, you know, when the Mid South Coliseum when it was going to be empty, and Lance Russell points out, you know, it's one o three and no one's here, and I don't know why I'm still here. We should just leave. This isn't going to happen. And all of a sudden, here comes Terry Funk, and Terry Funk's spitting mad and all upset, and he's like, "Where's Lawler? Where's Lawler?" And Lance's like, "I don't know where he is." He's, yeah. he's like, he, "Maybe he's caught in traffic." And Terry's like, "Oh, you're out of your mind." He's like going at Lance Russell. Lance Russell's like, "Don't put your hands on me." It's just, it's all, oh, it's great stuff. And then Lawler walks in, and you know he's dressed up in all. The best part about it, you know Terry Funk comes for a fight. Terry Funk's ready for a fight. Jerry Lawler walks in, robe, crown. You know he's all the way decked out, and, and Terry Funk's just like, "Get a load of this." weird ass pig sucking idiot or what the heck is he doing with this stupid crown on his head or whatever it's good it's just great stuff and then they they brawl and it's it's a very fun brawl and and again lance russell does a great job of selling it they sell the chaos that there's only one cameraman so the one camera guy's got to follow him around the entire time again like you can do this in today's wrestling if they try to do this in today's wrestling there'd be 16 cameras everybody would be perfectly mic'd michael cole would be there screaming the whole time there'd be you know it, it, the barricade would blow up we, we know exactly what it would be like you know what I mean, they just but this the simplicity of Lance Russell with a, a wired microphone walking around with a cameraman and a photographer. And that was it. And, and and it doesn't sound good. It doesn't look good. But that's the point. It shouldn't sound good. It shouldn't look good. These two idiots can't settle it in the ring. So they have to go into this empty arena and fight each other to the death. You know, and, and yeah. um, you know, so then they, they do the match. And, and the very famous angle in that match is. Um, you know, Terry Funk gets out a two by four. He's about to go hit Jerry Lawler with it. Lawler turns the tables, grabs the broken two by four, stabs Terry Funk in the eye with it, and the match stops. When you know, um, or I think he he hits him. Sorry, he Lawler Funk had it in his hand, and then Lawler kicked him. I, that now I remember. Sorry about that. Yeah, he he kicked Funk's elbow. Funk then put it the the broken two by four into his eye. So it wasn't Jerry Lawler doing it because he's a babyface. A babyface when stuff something in some guy's eye. We got to think about this logically. He kicked him, and it just so happened that it kicked into to Funk's eye or whatever. And then it ends with you know Terry Funk screaming, "Oh, he my eye, my eye!" You know Terry in the perfect yeah. Terry Funk yeah, voice. Yeah. Hey, I can't believe he did that. My eye, I can't see. Mother of God, sweet yeah. mother of God, my eye. <laughs> you know, just like screaming. And Lance is like, "Oh, have we had enough already, Terry? Come on, look at look at what it's come to. Look at what it's come to." He's admonishing him. You know, Lance Russell like uh, and Jerry. Lawler's just like, ah, he asked for it. You know, he leaves the ring. He doesn't really care or whatever. But, uh, you know, so then it's set up, you know, Terry Funk walking around with an eye patch or whatever, getting even more deranged, getting even more nuts uh, about it. But that's obviously the most famous angle uh, there in, uh, in, in, in Memphis with, with Lawler and, and Funk. And, yeah, that's just some great stuff. Great, uh, incredible promos. And, yeah, it's a back and forth of Jerry Lawler and Terry Funk. And those guys, they've been able to do that match. I think they've done it, you know, countless times. I think they just did it like seven or six, seven or eight years ago. They did it somewhere. I mean, they would do, they could bring that out for anything in Memphis ever and, and draw a house for, for, you know, for that thing, whether it be a, a pro wrestling night at a, a Memphis Grizzlies game or whatever, whatever it was. If you put Terry Funk and Jerry Lawler in there, people were going to know that that meant that was a big deal in Memphis. And yeah, a great, great. If you have, the empty arena match is very easy to find uh, if you want. And the promos are very easy to find. But yeah, that that's, that's a, yeah. a great run there uh, that he has in Memphis. You know, when he left WWF, too, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up his run in Puerto Rico, which I, I did a match of the week, I don't know, maybe a year or two ago, in uh, where they were doing the, the WWC Universal title was vacant, and they were doing a, a tournament, and Funk was in that tournament, and I did the Barry Windham match as the match of the week, and that was a tremendous match. And then he wins that, and he cuts an all-time promo on Rick Martell, who's his next opponent, in the tournament and then he faces Martell and he beats him. It's another good match. And then he, you know, does the job to Carl to Carlos Colon in the final. 
uh, and loses to Cologne. But I, you know, I, I almost forgot about that that little Puerto Rico run he did after he left the WWF in in the in the spring of '86, which is uh, just again that's just more Terry at his best. And then I guess he was working another retirement for a while, right? around 88 yeah he's doing then he was doing his hollywood stuff at this point he was really trying to say i'm I'm, I'm gonna get out of wrestling i'm gonna go act i'm gonna be in the movies and stuff and and honestly he got a lot of pretty big roles a lot of work he had a lot of work i mean it's terry funk it's not that hard to get work i mean the guy can clearly he he has an aura about him he 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 looks like a guy that'll beat the fuck out of you so he was great as you know tough man you know (laughs) i think at one point you know he's 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 you know in Roadhouse, I forget his character's name or whatever. Roadhouse, yeah. yeah but he's yeah. just like guy that kicks someone's ass. Like, and that makes sense. It's Terry Funk, yeah. and you know, then they talk to him, and he's like, "Ah, oh, get the hell out of here!" And it's just like, "Well, you can buy it because it's Terry Funk, man." Like, you know, it, it's it's perfect. But yeah, he got a lot of run. You know, there's that year, a couple years there where he was he was doing a pretty good amount with Roadhouse, obviously being um, on the top one. I think of a couple TV spots as well. But then yeah, he comes back to wrestle in a. Probably my, might be my favorite angle of all time. I mean, we, we've talked about this on, on the show before, but yeah. I the, the flare angle adore well, well, the flooring, uh, the flare angle. Well, hold that thought because first he comes back because Dusty at that time was trying to get Florida going again with the PWF thing, the professional wrestling. Of course, all oh, right, yeah. And he brought Dust. He brought uh, Funk in to main event their big shows, the homecoming and the homecoming Two, And the main events of those shows were dusty, were dusty roads versus Terry funk trying to revive. Um, uh, actually, I think actually now that I'm checking this, yeah, they headlined homecoming Two. the, the, the homecoming, the first homecoming show, which was in March as I frantically pull up cage match was dusty roads versus big steel man, which was the aforementioned tugboat. Uh, and and Funk was on the undercard, wrestling a very young Dustin Rhodes. And then when they did the uh, Homecoming two a couple months later, they went with Dusty Rhodes versus Terry Funk on top. But uh, it didn't draw a good house. And and the PWF, um, the the final nail in the PWF coffin was when Dusty went to the WWF when Vince came calling. They kept it going for a little while. Steve right, Kern right. kept it going. But yeah, the company but, built around Dusty Rhodes in Florida without Dusty. Yeah, not gonna. Which wasn't working to begin with, <laughs> right? Which yeah, was not so successful to begin with, doing the old regional territory style in in in, a, in an era where it was way, way, way past expiration date on that, uh, and then you lose the top guy. Yeah, it's it's not going to go well. And like a lot of them during that era, they tried to give it a more national name. You know, like like Continental tried it by changing their name to Continental. They tried to go Professional Wrestling Federation, but they couldn't get the tapes really out of Florida, and it just didn't work. So Dusty threw in the towel. He went to WWF. But um, Funk popped up in WCW in 89 as an announcer. And this was what what you were about to bring up, and I'm going to let you tell people. The lead-up to that was the famous Flair-Steamboat feud. So the Flair-Steamboat matches play out, and Flair, of course, wins the final match. And was Funk an announcer or a judge for that? He was a judge. He was a judge. Go ahead. You take it from here. So Russell wore... Uh, 89 is is the match, and it's Ric Flair versus uh, Ricky Steamboat, and they had one of the judges for the main event if it went to a time limit draw or whatever. I I, I think that was the uh, or something. I, I forget exactly what the purposes of the judges were for for that particular um, uh, night. I, b- I believe if it went to a time limit draw, they needed you know the judges to declare who was the winner or whatever. So uh, Flair defeats Ricky Steamboat, and then after the match, you know Flair celebrating the ring, 
And Funk, who's one of the judges, you know, walks into the ring and goes, hey, I'd like a title shot, Rick, if you have the chance. And, and Rick's just like, uh, all right, yeah, I know you've been spending some time in Hollywood and, you know, you're not really wrestling anymore, but uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. One, the, great, yeah. the great line was, the great line was, Terry, I got a list of top 10 contenders I got to get through. And then maybe if you can earn a spot on that top 10 he kept bringing up the top yeah 10. right right he's like well we got the top 10 we got the top 10 you know i got i got a lot of work to do to you know yeah. i got people that want to challenge me first but hey you know what it someday someday pal yeah he's you know as he kind of taps him on the shoulder goes someday old man yeah. you know essentially saying you're old you're in hollywood you're not really focusing on wrestling there's a lot of other better wrestlers yeah, yeah you're not a top 10 contender get on that list and then maybe we can talk and funk's just like oh, rick i'd really love a shot at the title and yeah. flair's just like <laughs> yeah. continuing this goes on for so long to, and like in yes. a good way too where flair's just like terry i terry i love you terry i know you like but i the contenders i got people you're in hollywood it's okay man and then one more time terry's just like i told you i want a title shot if you don't give me a title shot and then this is when it happens he attacks rick flair goes nuts beats him up pile drives him onto a table which at the time it might not seem when i'm saying that sentence to you you might say oh yeah okay that's an episode of monday night raw no i assure you at this time it was not done by every single wrestler shocking. on every single indie show on every single main i mean it was a shocking thing he pile drives him onto this table the table doesn't budge at all flair goes you know tumbling down jim ross is apoplectic the crowd is going nuts people can't believe that oh my god what is he doing this guy just attacked rick flair and the way that they sold it is that rick flair went away he didn't wrestle for months until then and the idea was that flair might not be able to wrestle so then they would interview terry funk in the meantime and go like you know what the hell's wrong with you why did you you know and then he would he would say well i wanted the title shot he didn't give it to me and he doesn't think that i'm a good wrestler i'm a great i'm a, i'm one of the best wrestlers of all time and i'm gonna prove it and 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 they keep saying well you took him out like flair can't wrestle he might not wrestle ever again he might have to retire and and finally rick flair does come back uh, at the great american bash i believe yeah the great i, I think it was a great american bash yeah that the uh yeah, the bash that came back and and they have you know yeah. the, the first match there uh that's not the one that i think everybody remembers flair does win that match and it's a very good match it's a, it's it's flair winning by uh reversing a small package into a small package of his own or whatever which was a, a, another great finish like you said but then the big one i think that everybody sh remembers and if you don't you should go out of your way at some point the bash match before you get to the i quit the bash match also led to the extended feud with the great muta and sting and right right and, right uh, yeah, so the, you know there were more layers added um, at that point to kind of stretch it. But uh, and on the house shows, it was Flair and Funk on every house show. Right. I mean, they were they were trying to squeeze everything. But anyway, yeah, and doing then, good then business the and doing good business for WCW in a, in a company that was not doing good business at this time. Like not no, because going what well. a lot of people don't realize is the famed and tremendous Ric Flair Ricky Steamboat saga was a bomb at the box office. That feud did not draw at all. Uh, for whatever reason, a lot of people think it's because uh, Steamboat was the baby face and was presented as this family man. He was bringing his baby to the ring and his, his wife and all that. And Flair was doing the Flair routine. And some people think that the dynamic was all off. And Flair came off as like this cool globe trotting guy who's fucking all these women. And Steamboat came off as this nerd, <laughs> this busy, nerd with you know, a family, bringing his baby to the ring. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. So, so the psychology was all messed up for the time, and and it just that that didn't draw. And then they they did the funk, uh, and 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 look, it didn't do gangbuster business, but it definitely business was definitely better than what it was for the the Flair Steamboat feud. 
So anyway, go ahead and tell people about the I Quit. Yeah, so Clash of Champions nine. Uh, they have an I Quit match. It's a, a, a five star from Meltzer. It's it's I think it's on Cage Match. I believe it is still rated as the best Terry Funk match of all time, and it's it's phenomenal. Go out of your way to, if you've not yeah. seen this match. Clash of Champions nine. It's on the Peacock. I'm sure you can find it in numerous other ways if you want. Uh, you have to go. Must watch this week. Must much watch this week. And and of course, uh, uh, Funk does lose. He he says you know he, he quits after Flair puts him in the figure four, and uh, yeah, it's just. Uh, Great stuff, yeah. Just an incredible, incredible match, and just the the atmosphere around it, the work. It's just, it's two of the all time greats going out there, and and two guys that are, and 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 Meltzer wrote about this in his uh, write up about Terry Funk, is that the, he would say that he would go to shows with Terry Funk in the eighties and the nineties or whatever, and Funk would be sticking his head out during the pre show, and Dave would say, well, "What are you doing, Terry?" And he goes, well, "I got to see what the crowd, what the atmosphere of the crowd is," and it's like he would dictate how he was going to work that day based off what he thought the crowd was going to like. And he would do that by watching the pre-show, watching some of the openers and going, okay, the crowd's into this, the crowd's into this. Okay, they, they like this today. They want this today. And not just saying, well, we have to go do our match. You know what I mean? That doesn't even, dude, who can do that these days? Who, who, who in, in today's wrestling is Seth freaking Rollins poking his head out and going, ah, this Terre Haute crowd is really going to want me to do this instead of this. No, he's going to do his match and his thing, and it doesn't matter if it's in front of Terre Haute or Poughkeepsie. He doesn't give a shit. It's the same match, the same thing, no matter what, when he walks in that building. He, he does not care. But Terry Funk, even in the days when he when he could have went out there and just done the most basic Terry Funk whatever, you know what I mean? Like whatever, he could have just walked out there and said, I'm Terry Funk, and, and done a few basic moves or whatever, and been oh, as over as he would be, would stick his head out there and, and try to see how, what does the crowd want today? What is this crowd like that the other crowd might not like? And what do I, and, and dictate his matches on that way. And that's why that, that Flair Funk match is just too legendary guys going in there and you know that they didn't talk about this match before you know that they they called this all in the ring i'm sure they had a couple of ideas here and there but for the most part it's just two guys two legends two all-time greats going out there and just having just one, one of the more phenomenal matches you can ever 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 see yeah go, go anyway clash of champions nine i quit match i think that is if, if there is one must watch that i'm going to give you it's this match and if you've seen it go watch it again <laughs> but if you've never seen it uh make it a note th- this week to, to definitely definitely go out and see that match yeah, the whole feud, really. I mean, and, and you know, I'm just looking at some of the house shows. You know, they had a match in the Omni in Atlanta that drew 15,500 fans, which was an enormous – that's an enormous number in any era for any promotion. That's an enormous number for 1989, uh, you know, WCW. But, uh, you know, yeah, they did that Flair Funk match basically in every city, and it did draw big. Um, you know, looking at some of the – you know, at Baltimore Arena – they did 4,600 fans, but that Omni show, which was a, you know, to be fair, here, here you go, Chicago UIC Pavilion, 3,600 fans. So you can kind of see what the other business looked like around that time. So to do almost 16,000 fans in the Omni was, uh, was really a monster house. Greensboro, uh, there's no attendance for that one, but, uh, but you get the idea. Let's see if Philly has an attendance. Now, nothing for Philly. But um, the Omni, which was a Texas death match on top of everything else, Ric Flair and Terry Funk, uh, some of the other stuff on the card, Great Muta versus Sting. Uh, that was a uh, that was the TV title change. So, again, this is a big card. Uh, the match that went on last was the Road Warriors versus the Samoan SWAT team. You had Luger defending the U.S. title against Tommy Rich. You had the Freebirds versus the Midnight Express. Uh, skyscrapers, in this case, Spivey and Vicious against the Steiner brothers and then some undercard stuff. 
But uh, just to give you an idea what was going on during that place in time, and that was probably the biggest house show. I can't imagine they drew better than that on any of these other shows. Here's another Omni show. Uh, a few months later, an I Quit match. Unfortunately, there's no attendance listed for that one. So um, we can't see what the, what they did for their return business. But, I mean, that whole feud. I mean, there's the angle where Funk puts the plastic bag over Ric Flair's head, yeah. which was very controversial at <laughs> very, the time. Very, very. Very controversial at the time. And that was after a tag team match. I think it was, uh, it was Sting and Flair um, against Muda and Dick Slater. That was Clash of Champions something. And... Funk comes out and he puts the plastic bag over Flair's head, you know, and um, they do the, the I quit match, which is the blow off. And then Gary Hart turns on, um, turns on Funk. Yeah. And yeah. I think then that's he, the end of it. Yeah. And then, and then he, so, he does mostly the, I think that he's kind of, his work is kind of done. Then he's doing the, uh, what the hell was the interview show called? Funk's. Funk's Grill. Funk's Grill. That's right. Yeah. Which was not. No, it wasn't. I mean, it was it was fine because it was Terry Funk with an interview, you know, and Terry Funk talking. But I don't want Terry Funk interviewing wrestlers. I want Terry Funk being interviewed. So it didn't, uh, and it didn't last long. I think he was he was gone a couple months later. I went right back to all Japan with Dory. I Hell mean, they, yeah, they yeah, yeah. Some make some those, money, man. <laughs> That's... Yeah, they worked some of those uh, uh, tag leagues, you know, into the early nineties. I mean, you know, people think of early nineties all Japan. I mean, you know, the Funks worked the ninety one. Um. Uh, no, they they worked the ninety, they worked the ninety tag league, which is you know the beginning of that. That's that era, the late eighties, early nineties that people think of. You know, so some of the teams they worked in ninety, which was obviously drastically different than the teams they were working in the seventies. You know, just some of the names: Dan Spivey and Stan Hansen, Johnny Ace and Kenta Kobashi, uh, Masawa and Kawada. So they went even into that era, you know, after he had his retirement in 88 and did the thing, the, the, the flare feud in 89, uh, they went back, they worked uh, dynamite kid and Johnny Smith on that tour. They worked Steve Williams and Terry Gordy. So they worked the miracle violence. Connect. They worked uh, Andre and Baba were a team that year oh. in that tech. Oh my oh. God. You oh, Lord. Matches are. <laughs> God. So, uh, we're talking you know, 1990 under the giant 1990 Andre oh, and, Baba. and 1990 Baba. Oh, <laughs> Dear God. Yeah, they were winning matches. They scored a ton of points in that time. <laughs> well, yeah, who's going to pin them? You so, can't pin those guys. Come on. So, uh, you know, and then um, they even went back for some tours in 91. They didn't work the tag league, but, you know, they were there. And, you know, there's a there's a Funks versus Can-Am Express match out there somewhere from 91. They worked the Southern Rockers, Rich. They worked well done in all Japan. They worked Rex King's <laughs> doll. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's uh, – so that you know, and then that was kind of it for the Funks in all Japan in the in the early '90s there, and that's when Funk started working the uh, Tri-State in Philadelphia when they were running all of those, you know, the early version of indie super shows is basically what those were. Uh, little plug for November to remember. We talk about Tri-State in some of the early episodes of that, but Funk was a mainstay of that. Uh, he he. Uh, they, they they did more funk lawler matches on some of those tri-state shows and those tri-state shows were just the loaded uh indie shows of the era you know uh here here's a random one uh winter challenge <laughs> 2 from 91 which had the funk lawler main event 
you look what else is on there. Of course, there's some local Philly guys, but you had Abdullah the Butcher versus the Sheik, Cactus Jack versus Eddie Gilbert, Ivan Koloff versus Manny Fernandez. Um, you know, and then the local guys, Tony Stetson, all the early ECW guys, Tony Stetson versus Johnny Hotbody, JC Smith, JT Smith versus DC Drake, and people like that. But uh, those those tri-state shows were always loaded, and Funk was uh, one of the frequent big stars that they would book for those, which would uh, come in handy a couple years later in 93 when uh, Funk was one of the uh, uh, early top stars of ECW. And and Funk and Eddie Gilbert were feuding all over the United States, whether it was in Philadelphia, whether it was in Texas, whether it was in Minnesota, uh, those Terry Funk, Eddie Gilbert matches in the early 90s. That was kind of like the the traveling big time indie main event match that was happening all over the country that could reliably draw, you know, two, three thousand fans to a show if promoted properly. And um, at that point, you know, Funk ends up uh, Funk and Eddie Gilbert. They, they work a match at the, at the, uh, at the ECW uh, 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 joint show with, um, with, uh, with at the battle of the belt show where they did the, I quit Texas death match, which was ECW and um, the name of that other pro the WWA. ECW WWA co-promotion at the Radisson Hotel, the infamous show where they booked Kerry Von Erich as a surprise, and they put it they they put a mask on Kerry because they wanted him to to uh, come out and and reveal himself as a surprise. But then Kerry wore his ring robe that said Kerry on the back. <laughs> That's the most Kerry Von Erich thing ever. <laughs> this fucking the bag of marbles and, here. It's like, yeah. all right, yeah, there we go. It's like it's scary. And, uh, <laughs> and they took the mask off and still tried to sell it. But yeah, oh my god, like, it's scary Von Eric. Yeah. <laughs> right. So that's the that's same the show. most scary Von Eric story ever. Yeah, God. Yeah, so that's the same show where Funk worked Gilbert in, the, in you know the uh, the I Quit Texas Death, and that's where Eddie Gilbert uh, met Todd Gordon. And where they formed their relationship and where Todd Gordon met Terry Funk. And then from there, you know, uh, both of those guys come into ECW. Eddie Gilbert is the booker. And the first big feud, the big feud that Eddie Gilbert booked the promotion around was Eddie Gilbert and Terry Funk. Which at that point was kind of wearing down because they had done it in so many places. And they had even done it in Philadelphia uh, uh, multiple times at that point. But, you know, that's. That's what uh, Gilbert went with to start, which was probably a good choice, you know, being the two biggest names and all that. With Gilbert as the heel and, and Funk as the babyface, and um, you know, at, at that point, that's when Funk started going back to Japan, but no longer with All Japan. He started doing more of the. This is when you know, deathmatch and garbage wrestling and the hardcore stuff was beginning to become en vogue. So uh, he did link up with FMW around this time when he was uh when he would go back to japan he had that run in wcw in 94 where he was part of um, the stud stable with uh bunkhouse buck and uh and arn anderson and and ming uh, i think was robert the... ron fuller was uh or robert fuller was colonel rob parker and um bunkhouse buck of course was jimmy golden both long time southeastern guys and 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 funk was part of that and they had that feud with dustin Rhodes and 
Dustin and Dusty and all that. So he yeah, had that, that. that awesome Dusty promo, one of the great promos in, in wrestling history. You know, Dusty, you know, calling on on Dustin to come team with him stuff. Yeah, great, great, great. Work. Yeah, and you know, you know what really kicked off that run was when they booked Terry Funk and, and Tully Blanchard at Slamboree to have a Legends match. You remember that? Right. Oh yeah, yeah. Because they would do Slamboree as as the Legends Night in '93, '94, and then I think 95 and then they got rid of it but yeah it was like legends night and they would have old guys wrestle and it was like look at these old guys wrestle and those were two of the guys which was a little unfortunate at that time it was terry funk and totally blanchard and, no, and they ended up tearing the house yeah down. absolutely and, best match of the night yeah it basically you know funk they you know it got him a bunch of months more work because they kept him around and uh he did the stud stable thing and um it, it, it's funny because then, you know, by 95, we're talking prime ECW, and, and we'll get into that in a second, and, and also the deathmatch stuff in Japan. But this is really what people associate with the middle-aged and crazy era of Terry Funk, right? But the thing about it is, if you go back and watch the old WWF matches, he's already billing himself as middle-aged and crazy in 1985. Right. This is 10 years later. You know, so it's like, he was born in 44, so in 1985... He was already 41 years old when he got to the WWF in 85 for his first run with with uh, with Vince McMahon and was already billing himself as middle aged and crazy. And then he was kind of still. But it was it, he see, by the time he got to ECW, he wasn't really doing the cowboy shtick. It wasn't as heavy handed anymore. Now he was adjusting with the times and he was, you know, and that's the one thing about Terry Funk. I think the only person on par with him in terms of constantly reinventing yourself and adjusting with the times would be Chris Jericho. Yeah. Very similar in that way to where, you know, Funk wasn't stubborn. You know, you, you go watch a Terry Funk match from 1972 and then a Terry Funk match from, you know, 1985 and then a Terry Funk match from 1989 and a Terry Funk match from 1995. And, you know, you go right down the line and it's like a different wrestler. Because he was doing what was going to get over. And he was adjusting with the times and working the style of the time and trying to stay ahead. You know, in early ECW, in, in you know, 95, 96 ECW, you know, Terry Funk started doing moonsaults. Terry Funk started uh, working with weapons. Why? Because that's what was over in 1995 in Philadelphia. And that's what was over in 1995 in Japan. You know, hot moves, weapons, bloodbaths. So uh, he was just doing what worked and staying relevant. And, you know, he's, he's 50 years old at this point, but he was so instrumental. And in, in anyone will tell you that was associated with early ECW. I mean, you know, with ter without Terry Funk, maybe the whole thing doesn't work. They needed him for credibility. You know? Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Paul Heyman famously, you know, everybody knows from Beyond the Mats or whatever before Barely Legal. You know, doing that speech in front of the entire ECW locker room and making sure to make a point that with and thank you to Terry Funk. We would not be here today without you, Terry Funk, for legitimizing us, putting us on the map and and, and being everything that you've done for, for us and for the professional wrestling business. So thank you, Terry Funk. You know what I mean? As as he's doing this pre-show, we're going live, we're going on pay-per-view. We this is what we've all built for, but let me take a few moments to let everybody know the only fucking reason we're here is because of Terry Funk. That, that he, more than almost anybody else, is why we're here right now. And it's true. It's 100% true. They needed Funk during that era because Heyman was building new stars. But he was taking these East Coast, you know, Island of Misfit toys, you know, the Tasmaniac doing, you know, 
which which was you know pre-Taz where he was just like this unhinged guy who didn't speak any English and he wore a furry singlet and you know eventually they they turned him into Taz the human suplex machine but you know Tommy Dreamer this white meat suspenders wearing baby face who was you know working you know Savoldi's IWCCW and you know the Sandman who when Heyman inherited him from uh from 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 Eddie Gilbert was still doing his his uh his surfer gimmick, he was literally the know? sand man <laughs> yeah and and you know Heyman needed time to convert these guys to 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 turn them into something marketable to something that would connect with the fans and you know he took somebody like the sandman who whose real life personality was he was a south philadelphia guy he smoked he drank he watched sports he fucking loved he loved sports. He loved tits. He loved smoking. He loved getting drunk. And Heyman was like, "Well, why are we doing this? This surfer thing? number <laughs> right, one is be you, it you, and number two, everyone in the crowd's gonna relate to you if you're just one of them. I mean, right. Sandman would come straight from the construction site, <laughs> his to beer the, belly and his stained white yeah, shirt and a cigarette, and his Zubaz <laughs> and his fucking yeah, and you know. So, but but it, it, it takes time to get these people over. You know, Public Enemy." You know, uh, uh, Ted Petty was the cheetah kid for all of those years, working under a mask as a tiger mask knockoff up and down the Indies on the East Coast, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, uh, New York. And, you know, he he had a modicum of, you know, but he was never going anywhere. You know, and, and Johnny Grunge was just, you know, John Rock or whatever, just a, a you know, the local indie guy. And he put them together and gave him the 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 tongue in cheek hip hop gimmick, which was, you know, starting to become big at the time. And, you know, but it took time. And Terry Funk gave the promotion some credibility while Paul Heyman was getting these new acts over. It was very important. Terry Funk and Sabu, those are the two. I mean, Sabu was just a force of nature and the hottest thing with uh, the insider fans at the time. But uh, but you, you needed Terry Funk for that dose of credibility. And that was very important. And in between... He was skipping off to Japan to work, you know, IWA Japan and and later FMW and and again doing the deathmatch stuff, which this is the Terry Funk from all Japan who was you know uh, having these matches with his brother Dory for decades upon decades and now he's doing it. Why? Because it was over and that was the peak uh, that was this. what it was and that's that that's what was over and that was what the style was going. That was what the business was dictating. I think that's. More than anything about Terry Funk is that 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 guy always knew where things were going, what was happening in the business. Never stuck in the mud. Never said, "Well, I'm going to be," because he could have stuck around and been, you know, grappler Terry Funk that he was in 1974 or whatever. You know, he could have, but and he faded away. Yeah, and he probably would have faded away like a lot of other guys at that time. But he didn't. He then said, "Okay, well, I'm going to be, you know, deranged, you know, great promo guy and 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 deranged, you know, kind of brawler." Terry Funk that he was in the 80s and then he could have stuck with that he could have done that forever and then he kind of had to alter into old you know like you said middle Asian crazy and and uh, alter his gimmick a little bit here and there and just kind of change things a little by little every single time and yeah adapt his style to what the style was and yeah the style was let's do these exploding barbed wire death matches let's do these, these you know let's get crazy let's go wild and and he was great at him because he's Terry Funk he's great at whatever he can do but he was never he was never afraid to try something new or try something different I think that helped you know, like you said, like a Chris Jericho who was always like, all right, what's next? What am I going to do next? What's the hot new thing? What do I need to, you know, alter my game to, to, to accommodate and fit? That's the name of the game, man. That, that's what it's all about. And 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 he he did it better than almost anybody else. Yeah. So, you know, obviously the legendary King of Deathmatch tournament, which um, 
you know, most people have, have seen by now or at least seen clips of or certain matches off of. And then in FMW, I mean, he had his own stable, the Funk Masters of Wrestling, who ironically <laughs> enough, I just wrote about this week in the match of the week before Terry Funk passed away because I wrote about Hayabusa and uh, Jinsei Shinzaki going to all Japan to work uh, the real world tag league. And, you know, they were, uh, they were um, outsiders from FMW. And at the time in their home promotion, they were feuding with the funk masters of wrestling, Mr. Ganasuke and, 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 uh, and uh, Hisakatsu Oya and, and funk and, and, and uh, later the headhunters were part of the group. Cause you know, Victor Quinones was in the mix and, and the gladiator, Mike awesome and super leather. So, um, you know, and Funk eventually left FMW, but, and, and, and the Funk Masters of Wrestling, um, they changed, Ganasuke became the leader and they changed their name to something else that I can't remember right now. But, um, you know, so Funk was a mainstay in FMW while he was with ECW. And he was also, by the way, skipping off to Germany to work, you know, CWA tours at the same time as well. So, um, and, and then worked his first New Japan matches during that time as well, you know, in 1995. You know, he hadn't worked New Japan ever because he was so loyal to Baba, you know. And and uh, he even worked a few New Japan shots at that point and did sporadically, you know, throughout the rest of his career. Um, but, yeah, and then he was very instrumental, like you said, the speech before Barely Legal. And, um, you know, that 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 kind of era of his career kicked off in 94, really with that slamboree match against Tully. Because, remember... He worked Tully Blanchard in the '80s when he worked when he would go to work San Antonio in the Blanchard territory. You know, he worked matches with Blanchard there, and uh, Adrian Adonis and people like that in um, in the early '80s in in San Antonio. But um, yes, yeah, so that was like Deathmatch era Terry Funk, and um, you know, and then that leads into in 1998 when he goes back to the WWF and. You know, after having all of those matches and feuding with with Cactus Jack, both in Japan and in the United States uh, in 1998, he goes to WWF and 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 forms a team with Cactus Jack. And I think you're probably better suited to talk about this era of Terry yeah, Funk. Yeah, this is this is when I first learned about, you know, Terry Funk and, and, and really kind of hone in on his career, which is kind of wild that Chainsaw Charlie is, is is how I, you know, but then I would later, you know, be able to go back and watch. Uh, so many of the things, but yeah, it, it was Chainsaw Charlie came in to the WWF, and it was Terry Funk in pantyhose with <laughs> baby powder all over his face, and it was strange. And he carried a, a, a chainsaw around with him, and it's it's bizarre. And a lot of people at the time, or maybe not necessarily at the time, but in hindsight now, look back and go like, "What the fuck? What, what were they?" Why were they doing this? And, and why was he Chainsaw Charlie and not Terry Funk? And what the hell was Vince McMahon doing? And I don't know if it was all Vince McMahon's doing. I know that, that this quote has kind of, you know, or, or, or this time period has been kind of debated a little bit, but I think a lot of people have attributed that Terry Funk came in and sort of said, well, I can't just be Terry Funk. Like the fans aren't going to really care about Terry Funk anymore. I need to be something different. I need to be something unique. And I don't know if that was them telling Terry, hey, we got to change it up. That makes sense for WF at the time. Or it was Terry. But I think a lot of people have said that Terry walked in and said, like, hey, I need to be something different. I can't just be Terry Funk. And and that's absurd. Like he could just be Terry Funk and it would have been fine. But he thought or WF thought or whatever thought that he needed to be something else. So it was Chainsaw Charlie. But Jim Ross, who at the time still had you know pride in his job and wasn't terrible at it, um, 
he would just call him Terry Funk all the time because he was like, well, everybody knows this is fucking Terry Funk. <laughs> like if I go out here and try to pretend to my audience that, that this man is not Terry Funk, my credibility is shot. I look like an idiot by saying, oh, that's Chainsaw Charlie or whatever. So he would say Chainsaw Charlie, but he would also go, oh, I don't know what's gotten into Terry Funk. The idea that Jim Ross would say is that, well, Terry Funk's just gone mad and now he thinks he's Chainsaw Charlie or whatever. But that's not exactly what the character was supposed to be. He was just supposed to be uh, a chainsaw wielding, you know, maniac or whatever. And he got a good little run out of this. I mean, there, there's uh, an incredible, which I think you should go and check out if you haven't. I don't know if you've ever seen this match because I know you kind of dipped out during the Attitude Era a little bit, but there's a no holds barred match uh, on Raw in, a, in an era where Raw matches were not very long and not very good usually. Uh, it's, I want to say, uh, May or June. I want to say May of 1998. I'll have to look that up uh, between uh, Foley and Funk. And it's, it's, it's kind of, it's not even in, because at the time, Mick Foley was doing the dude love thing to try to get, you know, Vince McMahon to, to like him and appreciate him and make him the corporate champion or whatever. But this is when, you know, that wasn't working. So he decided he was going to go out and have this match against Terry Funk as as Mick Foley. Or I think Vince McMahon said, go out there and 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 beat up your your friend and, and then I'll maybe give you, a, you know, I'll give you some love and I'll give you a, a title shot or whatever it may be. And so it's just and it's not Chainsaw Charlie. It's Terry Funk versus Mick Foley. And they go out there and beat the ever living shit out of each other just absolutely destroy each other in this match and it's it's an era where again like i said raw you weren't getting really really good matches like this but uh yeah really really good one uh between terry funk and and, and mcfoley and then that you know that run would basically last up until the early summer and then then he was basically gone uh, uh again but he got a run from how to basically january till i want to say early summer i forget exactly when he was out and you know he's in a big spot he got a wrestlemania payday uh, in WrestleMania 14 in the dumpster match. Uh, there's the famous angle where uh, the the New Age Outlaws, you know, locked Funk and 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 fully into the dumpster and threw it off the ramp, and and that was a big deal. And they, you know, I I don't know if you ever watched that live or or, or went back and watched it, but again, in an era where you could do that sort of stuff and and still treat it with some sort of reverence, is you know they came back from commercial and Sonny is just bawling, she's crying and. You know, Jim Ross is in hushed tones, and they don't go to another match. They just kind of show them trying to get the guys out of the dumpster. Then they go to commercial again. They come back one more time, and, you know, Jim Ross is still like, I can't believe what we just saw. I can't believe we just saw that or whatever. So, you know, nowadays, again, there would be 17,000 explosions, and then they would just go to the next match in the next segment. But, you know, it's hard to believe that even in the early Attitude Era, they still understood, you know, <laughs> that less sometimes is more in, in professional wrestling. So, yeah, they, they really sold that angle. Uh, a bit. The problem was, and, and it becomes, it's of course the Attitude Era. They came back later that night with like IVs sticking out of their arms or whatever, because of course they did. It's WWF. So like they did all this great angle early in the night, and then like you know an hour later, it's like oh my god, they're here! Oh, with you know they broke out of the hospital and they've come here or whatever. But uh, it's a decent little run, and that's probably when a lot of people maybe first learned about Terry Funk and 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 saw him in this Chainsaw Charlie run. But yeah, there's some good stuff in there. There's some decent stuff, but his. His heart isn't fully in it, and it's not fully Terry Funk. It's it's a guy, you know, it's it's this guy who either was so humble and didn't quite think that Terry Funk could still get over, or it's WWF still not understanding what they have in Terry Funk. Whatever it may be, it's 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 a or decent run. It was but, him, yeah. or it was him getting a bag and just yeah. This business is about making money, and they're gonna pay me to, you know, to do this, and I'm I'm gonna go make some money because I'm 55 years old or whatever, 54 years old at this point. And how many more runs do I have in me? Right. Right. And what's this business all about? Making money. Yep. So, and, and, and that's, he certainly comes from the era where that was first and foremost. And that's why he, he would, he was a chameleon and would, and would change depending on what he needed to be to remain and stay over. You know, we glossed over, 
You know, it's it's we're gonna gloss over so many fucking things. And and I'm so stressed doing this. I hate this one. I hated this when people were like, "Oh man, I can't wait." I was like, "I almost don't want to do this because I'm gonna be so stressed out that we're gonna be done with this." And they're like, "You didn't even mention this," and I'm like, "Oh god, we didn't. We did it two hours and we didn't mention this." But it's Terry fucking Funk. We're not gonna get everything. Can't hit everything, and I'm just so nervous about missing things and people being upset. But it's like. You know what? We kind of we're trying to go year by year. We're tr- we're really trying. I had to catch it. We we almost skipped over. Uh, <laughs> we almost skipped over uh, uh, the um, you know the Memphis stuff. And it's like, yeah, I didn't want to skip over that. Hell, I guess you know Andrew Rich brings up a great point in the note of chat room. Uh, he wasn't in the match, but Funk played a pivotal role in the Taker Mankind Hell in a Cell uh, as well yeah. as being Foley's yeah. real life friend and mentor. Uh, concern for his life. And Andrew's one hundred percent right about that. He he played a, a an immense role in that match, including taking a bump too. Telling, telling Taker, I choke slam me or whatever. Let's do something other than throw this guy off a fucking cage. Let's figure out something else on the show to to do except for killing my friend or whatever. But yeah, it, it worked even that much better because it was Terry Funk, the real life friend, coming out there and, and, and sort of trying to stop the assault. Yeah, you talk uh, Funk and Cactus Jack. I mean, we kind of glossed over the King of Deathmatch tournament at the Kawasaki Dream Show. 28,757 fans in Kawasaki Stadium. For that the, show. the most popular IWA tape fan. of all time, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, oh, it's yeah. got to be I there. Mean, it's right there. I mean, that and the best of Super Junior, uh, 94, 95, um, you know, and, and and this show without question are three of the most popular tapes of all time. And, you know, I know I wore mine out. I mean, we couldn't wait to get this one. And of course, it was Cactus Jack and Terry Funk in the final. In a no ropes barbed wire exploding barbed wire boards and exploding ring time bomb death match, of course, uh, for the final of that one with Cactus Jack and Terry Funk, which is a legitimately great death match. I mean, some of the matches on that show fucking stink, let's be honest. But, you know, Terry Funk, Tiger Jeet Singh in the uh, barbed wire door and glass match, and uh, they didn't all land. But, um, you know, that main event, you know, and, and it became a legendary show, and it drew almost 30,000 fans to Kawasaki uh, Stadium. So, um, it's just, and, and it, 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 this is Terry Funk and it's like, you just end up glossing over things, you know, it's like, that's, that's a huge, huge, historically important show, you know, that we, that we almost didn't even bother, uh, talking about all of the, the ECW with the, with, the, you know, the, 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 where the fans threw the chairs into the ring after they faced, uh, public, their, yeah. uh it, with, with public enemy, you know, after Funk and, and cactus faced public enemy. And what you could see Terry, if you watch that back, he realizes, okay, this is going to be out of control. He just takes a bump and <laughs> he just and goes down, he projects stops, the head, drops and yeah, projects the yeah, back of his head and says, yeah. oh, bring him on. But uh, I'm going to put my head over yeah, here. So. I know what's happening here. I just got to get down, yeah. you know, and, and the fire, they were, they almost burnt down the ECW arena. <laughs> and, and, um, you know, there's just, we, we kind of just blew off the whole ECW run. Right. You know? Right. right I, I mentioned a little bit, the Raven stuff and I played a, a lot of the clips in that intro, but uh, the promo, battle between terry funk and raven holy shit some of the stuff that those guys had and one of the great promos that that i put a, a bunch of the clips on uh in the in the intro was you know famous one leading up to barely legal where, where terry funk would uh you know upset raven and and, and win the title or whatever but uh the big you know terry raven didn't want to face terry funk and this one promo comes in and it's just it's it's great stuff it's 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 not only just a great promo between rick flair and, uh, uh, terry funk and, and raven but it's also the cinematography of it as well is incredible because you have Raven sitting on the floor. He's in the back sitting on the floor. And I think you probably know this promo by, you know, by, like the back of your hand, but like yeah, Raven course, yeah. sitting down, you know, in his famous sitting position against the locker and Terry Funk walks up, but you don't see Terry Funk. You see Terry Funk's legs. 
And he goes, stand up if you're going to talk to me. Let's talk, but you yeah. got to stand up. Yeah. And Raven's like, yeah. if I stand up, I'm going to hurt you. And you don't want me to hurt you, old man. And Terry Funk's like, I've been hurt a thousand times. You stand up right now. And he keeps asking Raven to stand up. And Raven's like, I'm not going to stand up. And it's a perfect dichotomy of this. At this time, I think he's in his mid-40s or whatever. It's this 45-year-old man trying to talk to this Gen Z grunge asshole Raven. You know what I mean? It's, it's a generational divide here. He's, he's 52. 52. Right he's even, yeah. So it's like a 52-year-old a trying to talk to a guy in his mid-20s who's playing, you know, a washout Gen Zer in flannel who's just like, yeah, Gen whatever, X, dude. Gen you know, Gen X. X. Sorry. I keep saying Gen Z. Gen X. You know, do who's not. Just... Do not <laughs> mix sorry, my Joe. generation right, right. with Gen Z. Please. Right. Please, yeah. No, you have the washout uh, whatever <laughs> generation that, uh, yes. that Raven is, and Terry can't handle this. Terry's just like, get up, stand up. And then finally, Raven's just like, I'm not going to do it. So Terry Funk bends down then and says, you listen here, you little big squeak. You know, like now he's like, all right, now you've made grandpa mad or whatever. Now you've made dad mad. And he gets onto his level. And it's a really, the way they shot it is great. Again, you're never going to do that in today's wrestling. You're going to have 15 cameras going. You're going to have a camera on Terry. It's going to be perfectly lit. You're going to have a camera on Raven. They're going to cut between the two cameras all the time. No, in this half the promo, you don't see Terry Funk. You see his feet, and then finally he comes in a frame bending down to Raven to do the promo to to say, fine, I'll get on your level, but I still want that match, and I still want to prove that I can beat you type of thing. Just great stuff. It's just, yeah, it's an incredible – that entire run is is masterful and, of course, ends, you know, or it – comes to a head, I think, in that barely little 97 where with about, I don't know, 15 seconds of TV time or pay-per-view time remaining, Terry Funk wins the ECW title. You know, you know, beating Raven after Raven just lost uh, or just won a match uh, earlier in the night. So, or just, just you know, minutes ago or whatever. And uh, yeah, they, he has to win the title. He holds it above his head. Boom, the TV's off. You know, the pay-per-view's off. They ran out of time uh, right Which after that. Raven, but... As Raven describes it, he says he was, he was aware of the time, but was never nervous and knew that they were going to get, which I don't buy at all. I think they got very lucky and... Well, uh, yeah, Paul was nervous. I'll tell you that. Behind the mat, we'll tell yeah. you that. that Paul is sweating buckets going, God damn it. We got 15 seconds, 10 seconds, 5 seconds. We got to go. All right. Yeah, but they got it. They got it in. Yeah. You know, and the thing about Barely Legal, and, you know, I obviously lived through this and was very close to this as a fan, is that really was after the peak. You know, the, the peak was really 96. You know, 95 was great. 94 was the come up. 95 was great. 96 was really the peak, late 95 and into 96. By that point in 97, they were past the peak. It was still a a very fun promotion and very good and all those sorts of things. But um, it's a shame that, you know, the mass transit incident with New Jack carving up Eric Kulas and that kind of set them back. And and, um, if they had gotten to pay-per-view a little sooner, I don't think history changes or anything like that. But I think that people, more people would have been exposed to peak ECW. And I still think to this day, there's a lot of people who haven't been exposed to peak ECW. You know, they jumped in at Barely Legal or they jumped in on TNN, which was way past. The- yeah, that's I mean, right? honestly, I was I was like- late. I was like mid 1998 is when I think I first got into ECW. And then, of course, got, became a big fan during you know the TNN run. Did not know, you know, barely knew about what was going on, you know, in, in, in the early, early days. Have only since gone back and watched all that stuff. But, yeah, there's probably a lot of people like me who who jumped in maybe in mid-1998 when it was getting enough buzz or just jumped in in early 1999 when it was on TNN or whatever. And that's, yeah, like you said, is is not, 
you know, if you have <laughs> if you have reverence for ECW and that's your era, then boy, man, there's a lot more for you. Ninety five, ninety six, like I like mean, you were saying. Heyman held off Taz Sabu as long as he could because he really wanted to do it on the pay per view, and they didn't even touch. You know, and 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 it would have to be some new convoluted way to get them to interact without touching. Sabu quitting every ten minutes is just. <laughs> Sabu you know, being and Sabu. Finally, <laughs> when barely legal finally comes around, it's like you know, it, it's uh, they were a little past the peak, and that that really wasn't a great show. It was a historical show, and you know, you had the great um, you know, Mishinoku Pro Six Man. That was on that show, right? Yeah, that was on Barely Legal. And um and of course you know Terry Funk went in the the title at the end of the show after the the three way, but um after Funk won the three way over Stevie Richards and the Sandman, um, but yeah and then you know Funk stuck around for a few months after that but he was gone by ninety eight I mean because he had gone to WWF and he never went back to ECW, so um, by two thousand he ends up in Dying Days WCW, and. Quite honestly, he's one of the highlights of some horrendous, so horrendous. Good. He's so good in 2007. It's Terry Funk being plopped into this just absurd, this fucking absurd, awful company at the time. And he's so much better than everybody else. And he's so good. Every Terry Funk thing is just, yeah, it's, it's, it's like you said, the highlight of 2007 is, is, is Terry Funk. Yeah. And, you know, the, the match, the hardcore matches and the hardcore match that went into the stable against Chris Candido where he gets kicked by the horse. And then he cuts the promo on the horse. <laughs> he tries to go at the um, horse. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, not the first time he's cut a promo on a horse. I mean, no. he, he, he was he was cutting promos on horses in early ECW, too, during the Eddie Gilbert era. Yeah, I watched uh, one where uh, he, he uh, a horse farts and he goes, <laughs> Eddie, your voice has sure changed, but the smell hasn't. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. So good. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly what it was. Yeah. Yeah, the horse farts and he goes, Eddie, oh my God, your voice sounds so much different, so but it smells the same. But your breath has it. Yeah, yeah, but your breath smells yeah. the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I did a big bit on that on November with the farting horse. Yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, you know, so yeah, he was collecting them Turner paychecks at the end of uh, Dying Days WCW, where he really was a highlight. And you know, he he went back to all Japan, um, you know, post uh, Exodus and all that. Was it post Exodus or right around that time? I guess. Uh, um, oh yeah, was that well he was right that. around there? I forget exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah, because uh, well, let me see. Yeah, because he worked the shows. That was the Kojima era and all that, mm-hmm. you know, 2003 or whatnot. But, um, yeah, and then, you know, I guess in 2006, when WWE is, is really capitalizing on the ECW nostalgia, he comes in to work with Mick Foley again and, you know, to do the one-night stand 2006, uh, six-person tag. But the big memorable angle from that, is when Foley told Funk to punch him in the head for real and bust him open hard way on TV. And um, I don't know how that went over in the back. I don't remember the details. <laughs> Probably not great. I, but, I, I would assume not great. But, you know, Mick Foley was going to, you know, he was going to do what he wanted under that scenario, and he did. And, and, and Funk beats the living shit out of him on TV and busts him open. No blade, just bust me open with punches. And he did. And, um, you know, he really fucked Foley's face up 
and then they did the match at ECW one night stand. Uh, the second one, the o- the O five one night stand is the legendary one night stand, which is, and funk wasn't on that, you know, that's, that's one of, uh, to me, that's one of the, um, yeah, why uh, wasn't he on that show? That, that makes sense. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. That's one of the greatest pay-per-views of all time. Yeah. Oh, I so mean, I'm, I'm reading here, and I, I guess I don't know if this is true or not, but uh, it says in 2005, Funk received an offer to appear at the ECW reunion show One Night Stand, uh, but turned it down in favor of working the ECW nostalgia show Hardcore Homecoming that was being put together by Shane, Shane Douglas. Douglas. So maybe it was just loyalty yeah. to Shane Douglas over over Vince McMahon and, and doing it on pay-per-view. That, that seems like a yeah. very Terry Funk thing to do, too. It, it does, that, and it makes sense. You know, it, it, it makes sense, too, that he would work. Because that well, I do. those were like competing shows at the time. But um, but he did come and work the one in 06. And remember, for one night stand, the first one night stand as well, unfortunately, Rob Van Dam had the broken leg and he couldn't work that show either. And, you know, they, they bring him out for the promo. Um, but it was still, to me, an all-time uh, great show, uh, you know, all-time great pay-per-view show. But um, And I guess here's something we missed. Um, you know, the, the Terry Funk, uh, yet another retirement when he worked Bret Hart. Remember the Bret Hart match? Which, oh, Dennis Stamp. Yeah, the um, famous behind the mat Dennis, Dennis Stamp thing. Yeah, the uh, hell were those shows called? Terry Funk's uh, Russell Fest or something like that. Something, something Terry Funk's Russell Fest, 50 Years of Funk. And he wrestled Bret Hart. And that's, you know, from Beyond the Mat where, you know, the, the famous Dennis Stamp um, – <laughs> scene i'm not booked terry i'm not booked you, oh, know, you could and, be the referee uh, you could be the referee yeah. dennis i'm not booked terry i'm not booked. i'm not booked terry too proud to just you know two very proud men you know yeah, terry, uh, you could be the, the, the the conversation goes on so long terry's like we'll be the referee just dennis is like fucking i'm guy. not Jeez. i'm not i'm not i'm not booked i'm not <laughs> figure it out guys poor dennis stamp yeah poor dennis stamp yeah who has also passed away by the way but um i'm looking at that card now do you know who off the top of your head, who Rob Van Dam worked at in that card. Terry Funk's WrestleFest. I'm not sure that I've seen them. I've seen the Bret Hart-Terry Funk match, but I don't know that I've seen anything else in that show. I have no idea. Um, Sabu or something. I, I, yeah, I don't know. He worked Dory Funk. Jr. Oh, <laughs> excuse me? <laughs> I got to see that match. Holy shit. Oh, uh, my God. Hey, listen to the 1997 card. Dory Funk Jr. Okay, yeah, what's this card here? Listen to the card that Terry Funk assembled Okay. for uh, for this show. And of course, from wrestlers, um, it's Terry Funk. So there were WWF wrestlers on the show. Uh, Wing Kanemura versus Roadkill. Of course. <laughs> okay, that sounds pretty fun, actually. Taz defended the ECW uh, television title against Chris Candido. We had uh, Shark Suchia versus Lady Kuga in okay. some ladies' action. Uh, the Youngbloods, yes, that's Chris and Mark. Oh, sir. wow, the Youngbloods. Defeat the Bushwhackers. Balls Mahoney versus Bubba Ray Dudley. Shane Douglas defended the ECW title versus Tommy Dreamer. Dory Funk Jr. versus Rob Van Dam. Mankind. Mankind versus Sabu with Bill Alonso. Uh, they went to a DQ, brother, because, uh, you know, they, they, <laughs> interpromotional match. So uh, that's not going to work for me, brother. So we got the DQ in the Mankind Sabu match. Um, Hakushi. Hayabusa and Masato Tanaka defeat the Headhunters and Jake the Snake Roberts. Whoa, what a match. What a match. Holy crap. Hayabusa and Jake Roberts. I love that. Yeah. And then, of course, the famous Bret Hart-Terry Funk match. Uh, No DQ. So 
people from all kinds of promotions getting permission to work that one. That was September 97. So, you know, Vince let all the WWF guys work that show with the ECW guys. And uh, that's also something we almost missed. That Like, Beyond the Mat was built around that show. And um, unfortunately, we almost glossed over it. And uh, he had the he had some runs in, in Smoky Mountain uh, that that we haven't talked about where, you know, he went down and um, worked the program with uh, with Bob Armstrong. And uh, they main evented um, whatever that big show was. Um, one of those shows in Knoxville um, where, where uh, Funk and Armstrong as, uh, as the bullet, um, which, you know, was the real main event of the show. I don't know if it necessarily went on last, but um, it was Sunday Bloody Sunday was the uh, Funk versus the Bullets Texas Deathmatch main event that drew... Uh, 3,950 fans to Knoxville. Uh, Funk came in for Night of Legends and worked a six-man tag uh, later on that year where he teamed with Dory and Bruiser Bedlam against Bob Armstrong, Road Warrior Hawk, and Tracy Smothers. That drew 5,000 fans. And then he came back. Um, uh, let's see. What other major? I'm looking for the major shows that he worked in smoky uh i guess 93 um work bob armstrong in knoxville that wasn't such a big show though but uh worked a house show against bob armstrong to a drew 800 fans but he worked those two big shows in 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 94 based around that bob armstrong feud which drew good money for smoky mountain um this was in between those 1993 and 1994 ecw runs uh pre-extreme you know the eddie gilbert and very early Paul Heyman era ECW where he was bound, where a lot of guys actually bounced back and forth between ECW and Smoky mountain at that time, you know, Chris Candido uh, stopped working ECW to go work Smoky mountain full time uh, around that time in 93. And uh, before coming back to ECW after the WWF run in 90, I guess that would have been 96 Five. or 97, 95, 95. Or, was it 95? Yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. when Candido came back to ECW, so uh, after the body done his thing. So, um, so yeah. So then from there, I guess that's really that 2006 one night stand run was really it for Funk at a major league level. Yeah, he'd just, pop you know, up every so often. Yeah, doing indie stuff, like you said, uh, and, and, and showing up at, you know, random festivals and fairs and stuff like that to do you know one-off stuff but yeah for all intents and purposes that that's it yeah and you know so much i mean you know we we, we touched on working for blanchard he obviously he worked portland he worked mid-atlantic he worked uh world everywhere you know world class name a territory you know and and uh, obviously he worked tons of shows in st louis i mean there's so many big matches and big feuds and big angles that you really, you, you can't, you can't get to all. It's just, you know, it's one of the longest and deepest and, and most significant careers in the history of wrestling. And, and he, he really might be the greatest wrestler of all time in terms of just reinventing himself and staying relevant and producing at a high level through, you know, everybody has a different favorite era of Terry Funk, you know, and, Mine is probably, if I had to pick, it would be either 
89 or obviously my heart is with ECW. It would be one of those two for my favorite era of Terry Funk. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like You know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun, and sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, oh, hey, look at some random cards or whatever, but if you're really in this game to, to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs, and it ends up being, you know, almost nothing. You know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading. So you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash VOWnet. Arenaclub.com slash VOWnet for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. What's going on, guys? This is Rich from the Flagship Podcast here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast network if i could have a moment of your time i'd like to tell you about one of our sponsors eufy video lock eufy video lock is a smart lock a 2k camera and a doorbell all three in one offering you triple security so you can have everything in one device rather than installing many pieces on your front door but it's not just for security Eufy Video Lock is also for convenience. No more concerns about losing keys, and you can assign passwords to your family members and see them coming back home via the integrated cameras. Some other great features we love about the Eufy Video Lock is it is easy to install and set up with just a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. Keyless entry, no more fumbling for keys when your hands are full. You never have to worry about kids losing keys or passing among renters. You also have 0.3 second, 0.3 second, fingerprint 
recognition, and one second unlocking. Again, 0.3 seconds, it's going to recognize your fingerprints, and in one second, it's going to unlock. And with the AI self-learning chip embedded, the more you use it, the more accurate it will be. Also, no battery anxiety. You have a rechargeable battery in there that could last around four months, and you will get a low battery notification before it runs out. Uh, Passcode unlocking a remote control with the 2K Clear Sight. See who's at your door and control from anywhere through the Eufy app. With enhanced night vision, you can have optimized view even in the evening. You can also secure your package delivery by view and two-way audio. And then best of all, no monthly fee. A bunch of other brands out there are going to charge you a monthly fee. You have your recordings locally and you never have to pay for storage. Customer service, Eufy's got you handled as well. They are on standby for you 24-7 so you can enjoy a worry-free experience with an 18-month warranty, all backed by their professional customer service team. Contact them anytime by telephone, email, or live chat. Personally, as a homeowner, I love my Eufy video lock. I have the ability to see what's going on when I'm not home, when packages have has arrived, and, and really the thing I love the most about it, the ease of being able to lock and unlock my doors without having to fumble with my keys and reach in my pocket or wait, no, crap, they're in my backpack, all that sort of stuff. All this is happening while my dogs are barking at me. You know what? Not anymore with the Eufy video lock. I touch it. 0.3 second fingerprint recognition. One second. Door is unlocked. Much, much easier. So if you want to jump on board with Eufy Video Lock, search Eufy Video Lock. That is E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Again, that's Eufy Video Lock, E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park about you yeah me it's probably 89 for me if i had to pick it would definitely be 89 probably the the second would be that early 80s stuff i really really like a lot of that stuff the the stuff with dusty the stuff with lawler uh that era is really Mm -hmm. good i I think 89 is my top top though but uh yeah i'd say that early stuff with uh with lawler is 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 right up there uh for sure but uh yeah like you said you could ask you know another person and they're going to say well the 70s stuff with the funks or whatever someone's going to say ecw somebody might say chainsaw charlie you know what i mean like there's there's no wrong answer you can you can name a time period in the 70s 80s 90s and 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 hell you want to go terry funk ecw or wcw 2000 go for it knock yourself out you could do that too it's just timeless just an absolutely timeless guy there's a trevor dame uh tweet that I think just sums it up perfectly for, for Terry Funk. His quote, uh, people watch Forrest Gump and go, how unrealistic uh, that one man could be present at so many major world events for a period of decades. But Perry, uh, Terry Funk did that in wrestling for real. Territories, Japan, 
NWA, WWF, WCW, ECW, WWE. If something big was popping off, Terry was there. And that, you know, Sean Cedor, who's in our note of chat room then, you know, he, he replied to that tweet by saying he also had appearances in early days of Ring of Honor, TNA, the original version of MLW. He worked a battle royal in PWG. Like, there is no <laughs> era or company that didn't have Terry Funk in it. You know what I mean? Like, what it, 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 from the early 70s until today, it's like Terry Funk was wrestling. Just in some form or fashion, somewhere, Terry Funk was there doing something. And, you know, you, you touched on it earlier, but it can't be stressed enough. I mean, he just worked in a way that wrestlers aren't even allowed to work today. Just go out, feel the crowd, and see what the crowd wants, and then do it. And, you know, I'm not trying to sound like, you know, some old guy who everything was better back then. It used to be better. But, I mean, you watch now, particularly in WWE, and you'll see two house-trained wrestlers you know, you see it all the time, blow a finish or blow a spot. What do they do? They go right back to the same spot. And it's just so non-organic and, and none of them they're you know, wrestlers are not taught to work the crowd anymore. They're taught to do what the agent says and work the kind of match that's, that's, you know, pre-planned in the back. And, and you see these situations where we talk about it all the time, where the crowd doesn't respond in, in, in the way that the, the, the action intends or the way that the story intends. And there's no attempt at adjusting for that or, or, or changing plans or because they, they can't do it, Rich. They don't know how they weren't taught and it's just different now. And, you know, and, and those are the ways that it was better. You know, there's ways that it's better. Now there's more action in the matches. Now there's more athleticism all those things are true, and I appreciate all those things. But there's a lot of ways where wrestling was better then. And, you know, no one was better th- than Terry Funk at working the match that the crowd wanted that night. And nobody was better than Terry Funk at reinventing himself and being what he needed to be to get over in that time and place and stay over and make money. And um, aside the fact that by all accounts, just the nicest man to fans and knew how to treat fans and emphasized that, you know, you got to treat the fans right. And you never hear a negative story about Terry Funk when it comes to a fan interaction or anything along those lines. You're nothing but glowing stories and glowing praise of how he treated the fans. I, I, I would extend and, that um, to promoters and wrestlers, too. I, I don't know of any promoter I've ever talked to, promoter story or even a wrestler story that, ah, yeah, Terry Funk, that guy's kind of an asshole or whatever. Never, ever. Oh, God, no. No, never. Never. Um, you know, and, and in terms of, of great matches in, in a bunch of different styles, I mean, who can compare? Oh, yeah, his, his compare? match guide. His match guide on cage match is incredible. So uh, I misspoke. There was a time where the, the Ric Flair, Terry Funk, I quit match was his top one, but... Uh, some way, I, I don't know, people have been watching this like I did this week and, and, and rated it higher. Uh, Abdul the Butcher and the Sheik versus Dory Funk and Terry Funk is actually number one now. That match from 1979 uh, is number That's one. That's what I so, mentioned earlier. Yeah, yeah, I talked about watching that. I, I watched that earlier today, too. So you got that match. Number two was Ric Flair versus Terry Funk. So right then and there, you're already seeing a multitude of differences there between the Funk Brothers versus Butcher and Sheik is the number one match. The second one is Ric Flair versus Terry Funk. I quit. Then you go to Onita and Funk, the no-rope exploding barbed wire time bomb death match or whatever. 
Which Very we good. didn't even talk about. Right. <laughs> right. Which is an incredible story, too. Which these guys are beating the living shit out of each other, destroying each other, literally trying to kill one another. And all the buildup was to the 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 tick-tock, tick-tock. This time is about to go. This time is about to go. It's 10 seconds. These guys are still beating each other, beating each other, beating each other. The ring's going to explode when that clock hits zero. So Terra Funk is on the ground. Onita's got the advantage. And he sees that the clock is at two. And it's at one. And he jumps on Terry Funk. To try to protect him, recreated poorly by AEW with Eddie Kingston and John Very Moxley. Poorly. Very and, poorly, and maybe, and maybe people don't realize that that was a recreation. Right, of this, right. You know, and and Onita having compassion, and I just have the image in my head of he he's conflicted. He doesn't know what to do. Funk is dead, and the bomb is going to go off. And Onita says, ah, fuck it. I got it. I respect him too much. He gets right. in there. He's slapping him in the face. He's trying to drag yeah, him. Yeah, get up. Get and up. Come re- on. We're going to die <laughs> if we don't yeah. get out of here. And he realizes time's going to be up, and he just covers him up and yeah. sacrifices himself. You know? And I can't believe, like, we didn't even mention that. <laughs> didn't we didn't even, even mention that. One of the most iconic visuals in wrestling history. And, yeah, the crowd, they're just come to tears. They're crying at this this romantic thing of these guys trying to just murder one another. But when the time came, God damn it, he didn't want it. Not like this. Not this way. This is yeah. still my friend. This is still my co- my comrade. This is still, you know, so protects him. And they walk out of the ring hand in hand as the crowd is just, you know, just bawling. That cr- just tears flowing in the audience as these two guys have proven that friendship is more important than, you know, a stupid wrestling match. Yeah, what else is on that list? Yeah, so then you got the Beulah, Terry Funk, Tommy Dreamer versus Edge Lead and McFoley match. So we talked about ECW uh, One Night Stand, uh, 2006, followed up by Harley Race versus Terry Funk as number five. Which again, there could no- be the modicum of difference or the, the worlds of difference between Harley Race and Terry Funk, number five on the match guide, and number three Onita and Terry Funk, and that just speaks to it. This guy, 1977 and 1993, and they're completely different. They're both great. They're both incredible, but for completely different reasons with completely that's different. The, is that, yeah, that's the race funk match from July that I referenced earlier. Yes, correct. From, yep, in 77. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. the one. Uh, then you have Hanson Gordy versus uh, the Funks. That is in 1983. That's the retirement match. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then you got Jumbo versus Funk straight up sing, uh, singles match, two out of three falls. Uh, that is in June of 76. And then you have number eight is the Lawler-Funk Empty Arena match. Uh, number nine is the Flair-Funk uh, Great American Bash match, not the, the, the I Quit match. Right. Uh, but the also, I match you know, is which is really two. good, too. I, I, I did kind of gloss over it. That match fucking rocks, too. Go watch that match, too. Definitely yeah. watch the I Quit, but you should probably watch both, to be honest. Uh, and the number 10 is Stan Hansen versus Terry Funk from 1983. But just... The differences, and we didn't really talk. We didn't really talk much about the Funk Hanson Wars. Um, you know, it, there's just there's so much. There's just so much. It's uh, just a just a incredible, incredible career. Just just you know, quite possibly the greatest wrestler to ever walk the earth. Yeah, you and, you, you, know, you I, anybody who makes that argument there it. You'd be hard pressed to argue against that person. It's like, what, what's your evidence against it? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you, it might not be. I wouldn't your argue. Guy. I mean, I don't even know. I don't even know if I necessarily agree, but I, I, I wouldn't argue. I mean, I can't formulate an argument against it. It's, I'd go, okay, that, right. Yeah, if someone said Terry right. Fox my greatest wrestler ever, it'd be real hard to sit down and go and, and like again, I don't know if he would be my pick either, but I don't think I could say, ooh, really? I don't know what, a, uh, you know, because what would you say? What would be your retort to that? You know, and you start factoring in promos and crowd connection and things like that and then it becomes really hard yeah then then at that point you're just splitting hairs on a guy who had a you know 40-year career of excellence it's like 
that everybody yeah, loves, and- that nobody dislikes, everybody loves, and 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 just monumentally influential to to the business, uh, and will be forever. So, and in terms of drawing emotion, I mean, yeah, you know, it's uh, the Onita deal, the the forever promo. You know, you 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 put together the package at the top with Desperado. I mean that that was the famous go home video package mm-hmm. for for uh, uh, barely legal. You know, at his father's grave and everything. I mean, it, you just couldn't. It's just there was a crowd connection and the ability to draw emotion that is just you know maybe better than anyone that's ever done this before. And um, it's it's a hard line to walk too because you can really cross that line into hokey very easily, right? And it's like into melodrama. And we've seen so many examples of wrestlers who aren't able to toe that line. And it's like, oh, this is corny now. This is melodramatic. But Funk walked that line and he nailed it every time. You know, look, he's, you know, Dylan Hales, he had another great tweet. He said, my, my, when, when I say Terry Funk's the greatest wrestler of all, it's, I'm paraphrasing. He goes, the way I explain it and the way I back up that position, that he's the greatest wrestler of all time. Is Terry Funk is the greatest baby face of all time, and Terry Funk is the greatest heel of all time. Hard to argue, yeah. How, yeah, it's, it's very hard to argue. I mean, <laughs> right. Yeah, it's you just nod your head. You're like, yeah, you know what? You're probably right. Yeah, I think I, Dylan's you know? always said that one of the big reasons why because he never let him down either. There was never a match where you were like, all right, here we go, Terry Funk, and then it was just like, eh, all right, well, that wasn't that good, or yeah. uh, that wasn't that didn't quite deliver to me. It's like it's Terry Funk. It's just like, yeah, that's that was yeah, pretty fucking funny. awesome. It, it, <laughs> Everything was pretty awesome. It, it's funny too. Another, another, we didn't mention. You know, after he does the angle with Flair, and he returns to the ring, who's that first TV match with? Eddie Guerrero, a young, unknown Eddie Guerrero. I did this for match of the week a few months ago, and um, he gives Eddie Guerrero as much as you can give the guy, considering you're about to get a bunch of world title shots. Right in 1989, right? we're talking Eddie Guerrero in 1989, by the way. Yeah, and he he obviously knows that Eddie is 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 going to be great. He knows the family. He got him the match, and he's trying to give him as much shine as possible. And it's a very interesting match from that standpoint. But the post match promo is almost even better than the match because, you know, he goes on about you talk about your top ten contenders, and, and he's because he's because he, Flair was needling him with that with the top ten contender bit, and he and he weaves it into his promo, and I mean, you know, and that's become sort of a. Uh, uh, kind of a, a cult classic match and promo over time, and um, it just so many others that I know we're forgetting. But um, yeah, I, Funk, maybe I was trying to grab the the quote from not to, not to interrupt, but there's a, a quote I believe it's in the either the Rise and Fall of ECW DVD or whatever. But it's it's Paul Heyman talking about Terry Funk, and you said you you mentioned the Eddie Guerrero match. That's a perfect time to bring it up, and and I'm I'm, I'm paraphrasing here because I don't remember the exact quote, and I was trying to find it, but but I wasn't able to do it, but. You know, he said that you know he's one of the only veterans from that era with the reputation of being legitimately tough, but also had the business sense to say, "I got to get to the next generation. I got to get that re- generation ready for there to be a business, for there to be an industry to leave beh- uh, behind something too." So it's it just essentially like, I need to, I need to build that next generation so that there's always something for me to come back to. Yeah, you know, I'm here now, but I don't want to go away. But if I just do everything that's going to help me at this exact moment and help me at this time and, and get me over and make me the most money, that's great. But what the hell is this business going to be then in, in, in five years, in 10 years, in 15 years? And, and he always looking forward, always looking to what was next, who was next, who could be next, who could get that next gen- generation over. You know, He wanted to leave this, the, the wrestling business a better place than, than he came into it. And, and 
He did. He absolutely did. And and, and uh, the quote that Heyman also gave during the barely legal, you know, ninety seven, uh, talked about that pre match speech. He was, you know, he was unselfish in selfish times. You know, it's nineteen ninety seven in professional wrestling. It's as cutthroat as can be. People are moving back and forth between WCW and and, and, and WWF and NWO is going and 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 like like Heyman says there unselfish and selfish times in in a, in a very selfish business there was no there were very few people that were as unselfish as Terry Funk was yeah there it is Terry Funk i'm sure we've missed a thousand things so sorry if we didn't we know had about 2 hours as much as we could possibly say about Terry Funk but uh you could do a whole show on Terry Funk you do a whole 4 hour show on Terry Funk if 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 need be but uh I think we uh, we covered it about as good as we could. We went about year, uh, basically year by year, and still missed King of the Death match and the Empty Arena match uh, along the way, and had to go back and, and, and catch up on that, which is it, again speaks to uh, his incredible career and his incredible legacy. So yes, Terry Funk passes away at the age of seventy nine, and of course, as we talked about in the top of the show, if you're maybe just joining us, uh, we did touch a little bit up on uh, Bray Wyatt. If you did not know about that, Wyndham Rotunda, Bray Wyatt. Uh, passed away at the age of 36, uh, just an hour or so before we went live here. So still kind of getting details about that. Looks to be a heart attack uh, due to uh, contracting COVID and, and having some 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 issues, some heart issues related to the the you know the COVID, and then of course uh, succumbing to this heart attack uh, just uh, just today. So yeah, 36 years old for uh, Wyndham Rotunda, and uh, Terry Funk uh, passes away at the age of 70. Nine. So, yeah, unfortunately, we are going to have to move on to some other things uh, in, in this show. And, and of course, we have All In coming up. Uh, I feel like <laughs> I feel like Excalibur this week. Did, did I'm sure you talked. I don't know if you talked about this in your Thursday uh, Dynamite review that you did over at uh, FlagshipPatreon.com, by the way, Patreon.com slash Voices of Wrestling. Uh, Excalibur having to do a DraftKings read in the Owen Hart voice after the Phoenix beatdown. <laughs> Did you talk about that? Oh, God. Yeah. No, I didn't. <laughs> but that was, was that? very was like, funny. Uh, yeah. We'll hopefully get some uh, details on uh, uh, Ray Phoenix's uh, condition uh, leading up to All In. But uh, DraftKings is your home for uh, the sports. <laughs> it's like, okay, yeah. man. You got to let go of the Owen voice if you're going to do a DraftKings read. Like, we can't have yeah. you solemnly be like, oh, you can uh, participate at uh, DraftKings.com or download the DraftKings app. Okay, well. Okay, boys, we have, to, we have to keep going with the show. And it's yeah, like he's like holding back tears. He's talking about the, you know, $50 free, you know, <laughs> play that you get yeah. when you sign up on the app or whatever. It's like, come yeah. on, bro. You can let you can let the hush tones go. You know, it's it's but well, uh, I do see speaking of DraftKings, as we go through this preview for for all in, the odds are up, Rich. Oh, we got some that, odds. So we, can, we got we can some odds. Okay, let, let's. Yeah, we need to get somebody to sponsor us here. Who, who's this uh, sports book, and, and why are they not sponsoring us? Well, I'm not. No, there's no free ads here. But damn uh, right, I do have some odds. Okay. from a certain sports book that may have been a sponsor in the past. Ah, ooh, well, I, is it one that I might have uh, quite a number of dollars still invested it might be in? One where you have some units. I have oh, some right. units in the dollars. Did I say dollars? Right. I meant units in this entertainment units. purpose units only. Yes, <laughs> entertainment yes. purposes only. Uh, oh, I got a lot of units in that one. Okay. Uh, oh, a lot. I may have well, that's relative. In. I, I may have that's relative. In. That's relative. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. With that said, I mean, that's, that's uh, okay. you know, you're a ball, rich, rich is a baller. You might have a. You we might have a lot. I, of anyone's I have not. This particular book has not stopped my ability to bet uh, highly on on professional wrestling. So, I hit it big wow. with an Indy 500 bet uh, last year as well. So. Oh, did you? Marcus Erickson helped me out big. Did you pour buttermilk all over yourself? <laughs> I did to celebrate. I got the the my routine glass of buttermilk, and and it, it sucked because that night I couldn't go to bed with a, a, a cool glass of buttermilk. But sounds disgusting to be yeah. honest. But okay, there it is. All right, so um, 
all in Wembley uh, coming up this weekend. Uh, of course, if you're outside of the United States and you're ordering it on Fight, be sure to use our link. Go to voicesofwrestling.com slash fight uh, if you're going to order that. Uh, if you're in America, you got pay-per-views. you got David Busters to watch it at. you got BR Live that cannot work for me again. We'll see. Uh, and then, yeah, we're going to go live immediately following the show uh, for Instant Reaction Live at flagshippatreon.com, patreon.com slash voicesofwrestling, uh, and voicesofwrestling.com slash patreon. Now, of course... The show is happening in England, so if you're ready to, you know, hey, I'm going to go listen to those guys at 10 p.m., that's not going to work. You're going to have to listen to us. I think roughly 5 Eastern is my guess is when the show will be over. 4 Central, 5 Eastern, I believe. That's kind of what I'm envisioning. It could be a little later. I don't know what their pay-per-view window is. I don't know if they have a hard out in Wembley Stadium. I don't know anything about that. Uh, I usually can time these, you know, regular American pay-per-view shows. I don't have any idea about this one, but I think somewhere around 4 or 5 p.m. Uh, uh, Central Time will be live, so 5 or 6 uh, Eastern. Whenever the show's over, that's when we're going live. So that's an easy way to watch. If you're watching the show, we'll be live immediately afterwards. That'll be Instant Reaction Live, all in Wembley, uh, coming up this Sunday. But, uh, Joe, let's talk about the card here and uh, a little bit of the build and kind of give our predictions and the preview and stuff and, you know, kind of big picture thoughts about the build itself, which has gotten a lot of, you know, a lot of, I think, negative reactions about the build of, of from this show and from other you know people as well. There's been a lot of people that have kind of echoed what we've said is that this feels like it should. It, it doesn't feel like it should. It should feel like a real big deal. It should feel like the real awesome, like, oh, my God, this show is here. Oh, my God, one of the biggest wrestling shows of all time is coming in just a couple of days. And I thought there is I, I like Dynamite. I thought it was a very good go home episode of dynamite i think they built the matches they they were going to build pretty well with a few exceptions which we're going to talk about here but i'm into the show i think it's going to be a fantastic show and i think the booking is 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 usually when these aw pay-per-views happen the booking doesn't matter that much because the talent is so good it can bail out any bad booking it can bail out any booking it doesn't matter if the booking is good or bad the talent is just going to be incredible and that i I, there's going to be no difference here i think this is going to be a spectacular show in front of 80 to ninety thousand people whatever that exact number is going to be we'll find out uh, hopefully on sunday we'll have that number if not you know very soon after i think it's going to be a very very good show but it's like it's hard to feel like we're days away that we're on the precipice of this show that should feel like one of the biggest wrestling shows of all time and I'm still where I was last week and a couple weeks ago when we were talking about this. I still am anticipating this as much as I'm anticipating just any other AEW pay-per-view. And I don't feel like I should feel that. I should feel like I'm really days away from this extremely special, unique, different, one-of-a-kind, once-in-a-lifetime shows. And I'm just not there yet with this show. And it's not going to happen, obviously, because we're a couple days <laughs> away from it. Again, with that said, I'm sure it's going to be a great show, and I'm sure we're going to come on this instant reaction and, and talk about how, how how this was great and this was interesting, and what an atmosphere, what a crowd, and whatnot. But yeah, it's just you know I got to call it like I see it. This this was an opportunity to really book to making this show feel like the once in a lifetime moment it is, and it's just a normal pay per view for AEW, and that's you know I guess that's fine. But to me, I I, I just want I. I I expected and wanted a little bit more out of this build and thought that they could do it, and they just they didn't. They did it. They booked a regular pay per view to me, which is fine. The regular pay per views are really really good. I just thought this one was going to be a little different, and I guess that's on me. I don't know why that's on you. I guess it's my it's on me for expecting them to you know. I, I get their shit together enough to, to, expect, to book a... hold on a second. <laughs> yeah. Why is it on you to expect the biggest wrestling show of all time to have a bigger card than something that looks like a full gear card? You're yeah, it's, I know it, it's a good looking look. It's a good looking card. And here's the thing. 
it's it's going to end up being a great show. We all know that. And it's going to feel enormous the day of because I'm sh- still not sure people understand the scope of what 90,000 people in Wembley is going to look like. Okay. Sound like. So the show's going to be great. But there's massive issues in this company in terms of long-term booking and doing doing things, flying by the seat of your pants. Uh, stuff is just messy. And it, it's not the way it was early in the early days of the company where it was obvious things. You know, when this company rolled out, Tony Khan knew who the first four champions were going to be. And he stuck to the plan. And it was all laid out long-term. You had the hangman... Uh, tag team with Kenny Omega and the feud with the Bucks and the whole hangman saga, which was a great long-term story. You had MJF and Cody Rhodes, which was a great long-term story. You had um, Cody Rhodes and Darby Allen, where it was a long-term story uh, intended for Cody Rhodes to get Darby Allen over to the next level, starting with the draw and all that. There's a million examples that I can give you. There was Chris Jericho making a comment in passing in a hallway to Scorpio Sky that seemingly didn't mean anything. That led to a, a, a little television program between the two. It's just in the earlier days of the promotion, there were more very clear and obvious long-term stories and directions that they stuck to and saw through. Now it feels like there's some of that. MJF Adam Cole, without a doubt, is plotted out step-by-step step meticulously and is plotted out beyond what we're going to see on Sunday, okay, or Saturday, whatever day it is, Sunday. Right? Sunday, it's going to be Sunday. So, yeah, don't don't screw that up. It's going to be on Sunday. Don't, don't get ready on Saturday. Yeah, so uh, th- that's an example of one where they are doing it, you know. And and the Billy Gunn thing is uh, is has been uh, 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 you know obviously a good, but there's so many other examples. Can I give you a couple? <laughs> well, first off, the best part that the the, the the most clear example there is that the second long term. Well built story you brought up was badass Billy Gunn returning at Wembley Stadium, and you're I right, agree. that is, and I'm that's, that's and like the second most well thought out. Look, and I'm and I'm, I'm prepared to bury that when we go over the absolutely, matches, but sure. like and you're it, right that that's one of the more meticulously better planned out stories story. of the entire thing. What? Can I just give you a couple examples? Look at let's take a look at this golden vampire thing with CM Punk and Samoa Joe, okay? Mm-hmm. Which was a good idea. But again, it wasn't. It could have been so much better. Why isn't? Why wasn't the Golden Vampire doing jobs every week on Collision in the lead up to that? Then you have the Golden Vampire in there. Fans are used to seeing him every week. They just think it's some new jobber who loses. He should have lost to Miro. He should have lost to you know go right down the line. They do squash matches on Collision every week, anyway. Right, right. So it right. wouldn't even. Have yeah, that, that's place. the show where it would work. It wouldn't seem out of place on on, on Collision at all. Right. So he should have. They should have been using the Golden Vampire week after week until it just becomes okay. That's just a guy like Serpentico or whatever other jobber you like to use. Then you do the match against Joe, the same way you did it on TV, where he gives him the go to sleep and reveals himself as Punk, and everybody goes nuts. But it has more impact. Because you've seen this golden vampire lose to everybody in 30 seconds in the lead-up, right? And um, I was actually talking to John Muse about about this whole thing, and um, you know, and then and then you have the golden vampire come back the following week, and you have Joe come out and attack him, beat him to a pulp, pull off the mask, and it's not Punk. And then Joe's frustrated about that. Like that's how you do this angle. You know how I know that? Because I've seen this angle done a million times in, in <laughs> right, every territory in America. One. Yeah, right, right. What do they do? They blow through it in literally 90 seconds. 
They blew through this angle in 96. Yeah, a guy comes out and the guy does the go to sleep and the guy is CM Punk. Okay, great. Let me ask you this. Who gets the most heat on every AEW show? Please don't blow the answer, Rich. Who CM get, Punk. What heel act, oh. what heel performer gets the most heat to the point where WWE fans are accusing AEW of copying Dom and hitting the boo button? Yeah, D- Don Callis. Don Callis and Takeshita, right? Why hasn't Takeshita beaten a jobber every week on TV on every fucking show that they have? Why? Why does Takeshita, why did they do that once with Takeshita? And then <laughs> did we didn't once. see him they again did for once. six they, weeks. That's the best part is they did, they, they knew, they, they obviously knew it would be effective and they did it once and then never went back to it. And then they never go back to it. And it's the hottest heel act in the company. And they simply don't bother. This guy should be beating jobbers in 30 seconds every week on every show. And Don Callis should be cutting another promo on Kenny Omega and building heat and getting booed out of every building. But they don't do it. Ricky Starks and CM Punk. Well, it's catch Yeah, he just comes around occasionally in a leather jacket. And we're like, OK, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. I hate yeah. this guy, I think. I'm not sure. It's like, yeah, OK. Didn't he hire 9000 people to clean this shit up? Ricky, Ricky Starks and CM Punk. This is how you know they don't have their shit together, okay? Ricky Starks whips Ricky Steamboat with the belt. Mm -hmm. Great angle. Yep, great. Gets suspended. Great. That's fantastic. One thing on Collision they want to do, they want to do suspensions. They want to do fines. Old school shit for, you know, being a bad guy. So he whips Ricky uh, Ricky Steamboat. He gets suspended for 30 days. Yeah, gone. Gone for 30 days. Going to be off, all in. Going to be off, all out. We come back the next week. All of a sudden, it's now 28 days. It's four weeks, which comes out to 28 days. Why? For one of two reasons. Reason number one, sloppy shop and nobody did the math. And they're like, oh, shit, we need Ricky for all out. Somebody count the days. One, two, three, four. And they fucked up the math. Or reason number two, they changed plans again on the fly. And they did. And they planned not to have Ricky on all out but then changed their mind during the course of the week and decided that they were going to have Ricky on all out. But, oh, shit, we said he was suspended for 30 days, so now we have to figure out a way to make the math work. So let's go on TV and say it was actually 28 days and put the heat on the babyface announcer. Rich, that sucks. Whether it's sloppy shop and somebody didn't do the math right or they're changing the booking on the fly again. Mm Mm-hmm. Choose your adventure. It sucks. Right, right. Yeah, that that was a theme. That was the theme of your dynamite review this week on uh, on, on on the flagship Patreon, which I, I did listen to that segment that you were talking about. And and yeah, the Starks thing too. It's it's not even just the oh well now he has a manager's license. Like that's just lazy booking, but it's not like sloppy booking. They're, that that I I think that's lame booking. I think that oh he he's suspended, but he's got a manager's license, so he can show up every single week, but he can't wrestle. And whatever. Okay, I kind of roll my eyes at that. I think that's just stupid or whatever. But it's not. It's not sloppy, like you said. Changing it from thirty days to twenty eight days is sloppy. The the stuff with Phoenix, which we're going to talk about, the stuff with AR Fox, the stuff with a multitude of guys that it seems like week of we're finding out who doesn't have a passport and who can't come to Amer- the England and who can't leave America. And it's like, what? Come on, like get. Th- I guess that was my. I, I, like I said, it was my fault for thinking that. But I really thought that of all the shows that you would sit down three months ahead of time and go, here is the card for all-in Wembley. Boom, here it is. Bam. If something goes wrong, if we have to change something, so be it. But here's my card, and I'm sticking to it, and here's how we get to that. And the fact that we are still piecemealing this thing together a week out is like, I don't I don't know, man. Changes on the fly. I don't know, man. And, 
you know, and I, and then I have people telling me yesterday that collision was still being written an hour before the show starts. I mean, it's just oh, great. So we're, I, we're, I, we're I, there I now. Know, I don't, I don't. Now I understand it was a couple days early when it's usually on Saturdays, but um, this isn't anything unusual. And it's like, you know, the Starks thing. Obviously, their plans changed or somebody didn't do math right. I mean, what are we doing here? You know, and you know, then you look at. Uh, you know, Jack Perry and, and that whole thing with Jungle Hook where they team maybe two or three times. Uh, then Perry does the the the, <laughs> the uh, pillars deal yeah. and they put the tag team on hold, which I don't know why you need to do that, but they did. Then after that's over with. Which they don't have back. to. We've always talked about one of the great things that are in early AEW and, and great things in a lot of other wrestling promotions keep are. Keep them aligned. Keep them aligned. Yeah. They're, I, hey, you're doing your thing for now. That's cool. You know. We'll still team together, and when you're done, you're done, and we'll come back. We'll team. That's fine. Like guys can get along with that. That that that, that shouldn't cause. But that team, man, that team had another year in them. Well, for well, God's yeah, sake. Well, well, here's my point. So then they put them back together after that for another week, <laughs> or or two, or whatever it was. The point is not an extended period of time where fans are going to get emotionally invested in the team and sure. the breakup because you don't have time. Because they, they, how many times did they actually team? Oh Three or Jesus! Four? Three or four? So, no more than. four. Five, but so, I can't even so anyway, remember how many. Yeah. Then you do the Sonata match, and Perry loses, and he turns on Hook. Right? Wouldn't have been smarter to keep the team together longer, to let the fans form an emotional bond with the team, to rally behind them, have them lose a tag team title challenge where maybe there's some miscommunication at the end of the match, right? And then have Jack Perry blame Hook and turn on him for that. Wouldn't that have had more emotional impact? Wouldn't it have mattered more if they teamed 20 times on TV instead of three? You know what I mean? As they, the way they did it, Jack Perry turns on him after the Sonata match. Why? Why is he mad at Hook after he lost the Sonata? That makes far less sense than being mad at Hook because they lost the tag team match going for the tag team titles. There's just better ways that they could do these things, but they don't let anything breathe. Nothing is planned long-term anymore. Nothing is fleshed out. I shouldn't say nothing, but a lot of things, it's just not... You're not seeing the long-term story. It's like everything is done on the fly. Nothing is given a chance uh, to to settle in and marinate, and you're not setting fans up for things to then get that emotional response you're looking right, for. Right, right. You can tell. You can tell when stuff is being booked and planned out months and 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 you know, hell weeks in, in advance or hell years in, in advance for the early AEW, and you can tell when they're not. And and, and I t- absolutely feel. Right now, that we're in a period where stuff feels like it's it's changing week by week, and we're seeing it. I mean, it's it's obvious. If you watch this game enough, if you watch wrestling enough, you, you're well aware when things are being plotted out and changed and 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 altered and moved around. You don't have to be an insider. You don't have to have scoops with a Z or whatever. But you can watch the show and just go like, oh, well, gee, okay. I mean, just in this episode alone, we had two matches get dramatically altered uh, in terms of who was going to be in the match and how many people were going to be in the match and all this sort of stuff, and like. That's that's just sloppy, man. For the go home show, that like I, I don't know, I, I just it it is a company that that I used to really really appreciate the long term storytelling. Like I I talked about this in in my the recent Sky's the Limit episode that I did on uh, on I'm doing the Cruiserweight Classic retrospective series seven years later since the Cruiserweight Classic uh, on our Patreon, and I'm talking about a match that happened. It was T.J. Perkins and Johnny Gargano in the quarterfinals of the Cruiserweight Classic. Now the match is structured around Johnny Gargano's knee is destroyed and it got destroyed in a takeover match against the revival obviously ftr and when you look at the timeline they had to film the cruiserweight classic match like 37 days before they did the takeover match so they had to say hey johnny 
for TakeOver, we're going to have the Revival work over your knee and destroy your knee. So how about you sell that here in this Cruiserweight Classic thing? You know what I mean? Like, And, and it might seem nerdy to some people, but I love that shit. I love the idea that they everybody had to get in a room and they had to say, Johnny, you got to sell the knee. Uh, because what we're going to do is in the takeover match, the Revival are going to beat on your knee, and that's how they're going to win. And nobody could, brother, brother, that's not going to work for me. Nobody could say, you know, they had to stick to that plan. They had to know on in July what their plan was going to be for August. And this is NXT and the fucking Cruiserweight Classic. And this is not even yeah. a bygone era. I'm not talking about 1972. I'm talking about 2016. And it's like something like that happens, and you're like, yeah, that is, that's what this game should be. This game should be all about long-term planning, planting seeds, figuring things out, working, working fr- you know, having the match and then working back. Okay, we know at this day, on this time, we want this guy to beat this guy for this thing or whatever. How do we get there? Let's now work our way back. And that's just... That was happening for so long in AEW, and now it really doesn't feel like it is. And 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 with that said, all in is still going to be a really good show. But it's like you just feel like man, like it, it 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 reveals a lot of their their big issues right now, and a lot of the the week to week and the changing and the chaos. You can sense the chaos that's going on in that company. You just can. You can just sense the chaos when you watch you an episode of Dynamite. Yeah, you can feel it. What? Why is Hangman Page never on TV? Great question. I don't know. I mean. The guy's never on TV. Yeah. Let alone, forget wrestling a match. Uh, that's absurd. I think somebody I mean, said the last time he wrestled the singles match, pitchers and catchers were reporting to spring training. And that like that era of spring training was the last time. He, he's least... arguably, yeah, it's ridiculous. He's arguably he's like the protagonist of the company. Yeah. Yeah, arguably the most important on, guy like, in the character. I, 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 I don't know. I'm starting to think something might be going on. Like, why does the guy never come to work? Do they forget? And is is there like a, an accounting error that they just on the roster? Do they like what's the deal with Hangman Page? This would have been a perfect spot. This show. His last uh, Joe. Can you even? I'm going to try to make you guess. I guess I already gave it away by saying what was his last Dynamite singles match on I Dynamite. Even, I couldn't even. I couldn't even wager a guess. I have no clue. <laughs> February fifteenth of this year, he defeated Kip Sabian. How is that even possible? <laughs> it's August. Now, I understand that they were waiting to re-sign these guys, and maybe Tony didn't want to push people who were going to walk. Okay. But they've been signed now for a month. Why is Hangman, why is Adam Hangman Page not on TV every week giving a flippy-doo lariat to some geek and pinning them in the center of the ring? Why? Because his company, they just don't book that way. He's got to be in some kind of convoluted story. So great, he's in some six-man tag in the pay-per-view. You know what I would have done with him on the pay-per-view, the protagonist of my company? Shingo's in town, Rich. I would have had him beat Shingo clean in the middle. You think New Japan gives a shit? No, they don't care. This guy's not even on the po- Wrestle Kingdom poster. He's going to lose fine. the day before to Will Ospreay. What's the difference? Right. I would have done something. Tomohiro Ishii, anyone. Right, whatever. Give this man a singles match. Put him on the fucking show. <laughs> and have... let him cook. And then say he's climbing the... It's like... You know, I don't understand. Yeah, now now I, that the, I, now that the stuff with the elite is done and the the anarchy in the arena is behind him, now you know Hangman hey and Page is ready to get back to the title that he has in it because the man lost the title and he's just been like, oh, all right, well. <laughs> was he even involved in the angle last night with no with uh, no where? Someone tell me where this man is. <laughs> I, I don't know. He was at Blood and Guts. He's I know that he was at Anarchy in the Arena. I know that, but then after that, I don't know. Yeah, like why. Why in 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 story or in canon or whatever? Why would this man not want to get back 
the title. He lost it by referee's decision, or, or he lost his his match against Moxie by referee's decision or whatever. Lost his title uh, in in you know May or whatever of twenty. The guy isn't going back. He doesn't care about winning the title again. Like why? You know what I mean? It's just perplexing. It's like this guy should always be like you said. He's the protagonist of the. He should always be in the mix in some way, shape, or form. Whether he's if he's doing his stuff with the elite, great. That gets him out of the title picture. But when he's done and doing stuff with the elite, I want him seeing taking heads off with the, the the lariat and saying, "All right, I want that title again." CM Punk took that title for me. Uh, John Moxley defeated me, but I want that title again. And hell, he lost to John Moxley because he got knocked out. Legit. Remember how great that story was of Hey, Hangman Page is going to come back and prove everybody wrong. Well, he came back, but now he's just kind of doing things. You know? Can I talk about this? Uh, another just poor example of just blow, blowing through a year's worth of storylines and like however people always get annoyed with me because i'll be like oh they did everything in two weeks and i go like, well, actually it was uh five weeks from you get the idea well so hey on dynamite, on dynamite they did a month and a half of stories in 13 minutes or whatever yeah so i'm, I'm preemptively yelling at the people who love to do that here's yes. my point with ar fox and swerve first of all they they uh, do the whole AR Fox push in a matter of four days. He wins the match at on the on the buy-in of the ROH pay-per-view, and then Darby uh, lobbies for him to get the, uh, the the match against Orange Cassidy. Remember, and then after the match, he turns on Darby. First of all, they had never established that Darby and AR Fox have this bond. They never established that ever in all the time that AR Fox. I think they did the one. Remember, they did that one promo where we thought he was talking about Buddy Wayne, but he was actually talking about AR Fox. Well, I don't remember it, which speaks to my point. Yeah, well, the, there was the the one, the Darby, no. just so so people don't go. Take that, Darby took the promo, but it was it was stupid. It was just like because Darby was backstage and he was next to Nick Wayne, and he was getting interviewed by Renee or something like that, and he's like, "There's one man that trained me, that saw the 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 potential of a Darby Allen, that saw what I was." And you and I both talked about this that we were like, "Oh, he's going to talk about Buddy Wayne and talk about Nick Wayne." And he turns around, and he goes, "Ar Fox," oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. we're like, "What?" But, <laughs> well, you can throw it in. It's all the same time period anyway. Right. So so then. Uh, he gets the match. They do the turn again. Same thing with the Jack Perry hook thing. Fans did not have a chance to feel any kind of emotional bond with, with this Darby AR Fox thing because it was four days long. Okay. So they do the turn and he joins the group and then they break into Nick Wayne's house and beat him to a bloody pole. Which was incredible. Taunt him. A great, great. It was great. They taunt him about his dead father and all this and that. Then they have the match on Dynamite last night, which is only a month later or whatever it is, a couple weeks later. By the They're way, throwing... Air Fox shows up in a bloody shirt of Nick Wayne's blood from the beatdown. Which he throws at his mother. Yes. <laughs> okay. So they lose. Swerve decides, oh, well, uh, I don't like this guy anymore. And they turn on him. Okay. <laughs> which, by the way, they already had a match booked for All In. Yeah. Okay. So, again, changing plans. Not having your shit together. Bad, bad leadership out of swerve. Him. Bad leadership out of swerve to be changing your partner so close to the uh, the match. So bad leadership. I don't think it's out of swerve. So they turn on <laughs> him, and then Darby comes down and like just immediately reembraces the guy. Right, Ar. I love you, brother. And he picks up Ar Fox. Ar Fox hugs him, and it's like ah, water under the bridge. I, yeah, poor and Nick Wayne's like, hold on like, a minute, whoa, 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 that guy beat the fuck Nick out of me. What's Nick Wayne supposed to think about this? <laughs> right. What's Nick Wayne supposed to think about this? The guy tried to kill me in my own home. Yeah, and he just threw a bloody shirt, a shirt of my blood at my mother and tried to murder me at my house. I don't know if I'm down with now, this guy, Darbs. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> the old AEW would have Nick Wayne and AR Fox have tension from here on out. 
they wouldn't like each other. If AEW does that, I'll come on the air and apologize. But I don't think they're going to do that. The old AEW would have, because they were very much like Dragon Gate in that way. Nothing was forgotten. Nick Wayne was murdered a month ago, and it's already been forgotten. Oh, no problem, AR. You're back with us now. (laughs) On top of it, it makes Darby look like a geek. It makes AR Fox look like a geek. And it makes Nick Wayne look like a geek. I half expected last night, I half expected AR to, like, beat him down again. As, like, a swerve double, like, a a swerve swerve or whatever, where it was, like, because it was so geeky that he was just like hey man i love you and i thought air fox was gonna go oh yeah i love you too and then like beat him down again or whatever and swerve could laugh or whatever it was a way to get an edge or whatever no it was just like ar's like yeah i'm standing with these guys now it's like you weren't standing with them 14 minutes ago what changed like why did all this change and then jesus christ this was even half of the angles that happened now i've heard some people say oh well he has a funeral to attend and he can't go to to we don't know that that that's not the story hold on hold on hold on now that would be life and i get it First of all, that's a rumor, and it's unconfirmed. And we know the grandmother died because that was public, but that was weeks ago. People are just connecting dots, I think. I think they're connecting dots when it comes to that. But let's say it's true. Even so, why would you throw the baby out with the bathwater and just completely undo the fucking story you were telling? I don't know. And have the guy kicked out of the group. It still doesn't make any sense. And he was a good fit in that group, too. So it's like, yeah, that that that... I'm almost annoyed from that standpoint, too, because it's just like, Jesus Christ, that was a great spot for Air Fox. It worked. The thing with Swerve worked. It could have just been as simple as, I guess you didn't want to do the two beatdown. I, I guess <laughs> when, you're, when, you're, when you're a sloppy shopper, bad booking, well, like you said, I guess you can't do two, my partner has been destroyed and now can no longer attend the show in England angles in the span of an hour, but maybe don't have one of those, or maybe only have one of those, or maybe have none of those is a possibility. Well, Here's where the plot thickens, sir. I don't know if you saw this yet. Meltzer and Alvarez did some audio today. You know, they're all on the fucked up clock. It came out right before our show. Apparently, AR Fox is in the doghouse. Because he's not allowed to go to the UK. And he either didn't inform them or they didn't know. That was the implication Mm, on the audio. Okay. But that's sloppy shop shit. You cannot book a match. <laughs> I want to find out. I got to find out for sure a month out. Can you? I need to know from my entire talent roster. I don't care if I'm booking you for Wembley or not. Three months ago, four months ago, five months ago. Let me see your passport. Are you cleared? Tell your office. Make sure everybody's cleared. And whoever we use, we use. Whoever we don't use is fine. But like everybody, we need to know that everybody's cleared to come. We cannot find out you, a how, week how before. How do you not know this until a few days before the show? <laughs> right. It's unacceptable. I check my passport like once every couple of months just to make sure it's not even close to expiring. And it's not. It's going to expire in 2026. Uh, Don't they Tw- have office people who handle all this I, and know everything? I thought so. They don't, apparently. So either way, again. But yeah, that's advantage. not on him. We're, we're saying that's on this guy to tell you that he need, that he can go there or not. Like I don't care who it's on. It's sloppy shot. Right. And again, it's choose your adventure. It's either terrible booking to get out of an unfortunate situation of he can't go because of funeral. It's still bad booking to just throw the baby out with the bathwater and undo all the whole story. Or option B, you didn't know who's allowed to go over there until a week before the show. And you booked the match without making sure that everybody booked in the match can go. And I'm sorry. I don't think that this was the booking. Maybe the, uh, here's another. If this is the plan, it's a bad plan. If it was a plan, it's a bad plan. If the plan was, okay, 
well, eventually Swerve's going to kick him out anyway, but since we're mad at him, we're just going to do it now. Well, the whole idea was you already, like, you they booked this match. So they either booked the match they knew they weren't going to do, or they booked the match that they're now not doing. Rich, there's no good path You booked this them. shit. It's fake. It's a work. Book whatever you want to book. You don't have to. No matter what you could come up with to try to defend this, it's a fucking mess. Yeah, it is. And if Christian wasn't so good at making in fun of people's dead fathers, you wouldn't have escaped it with, with this little wrath. But I'm not letting you off the hook. Because Christian knows how to cut a promo. This is a disaster. Same thing with the Phoenix thing. Now you're starting to hear people say, oh, well, this was the plan all along. Phoenix, they knew Phoenix couldn't go. And they knew they were going to do an angle. To, hold on a second. Hold on a second. They advertised a six-on-six match. They had a fucking graphic on TV with six men on one side and three men on the other side with three little silhouettes behind them. Three mystery men. Graphic on TV, they advertised six versus six. Now I have people telling me, oh, well, it makes sense because uh, Blackpool Combat Club could only get two guys. So they decided to take a guy out on the what? other team <laughs> to make it five established. on five. That was never established. You're doing headcanon. That's headcanon. I shouldn't have to do headcanon as a fan to make this shit make sense, is my point. <laughs> yeah, what? That was never established. That Blackpool when Combat did John Club. Moxley say, when did John Moxley cut a promo saying that? When, you know, before or after the attack? Never. Never. So, again, choose your adventure. It's either a sloppy shop or it's poor booking. It's one or the other. Neither option is good. And there's just a whole lot of this lately in this company. Why would the Blackpool Combat Club, why would they not bring a sixth man? They were challenged to a six-on-six match, and they're the heels. Why would they not bring a sixth man? I would be totally cool if it was six-on-five. It makes sense. They took a guy out. They have an advantage now. That's what heels do. Mm -hmm. That would be great. Yeah, and these guys would do it in a vicious way like they did with the fucking crowbar and beating him down or whatever, and Eddie could be mad and say, God damn it, we don't have enough time, you know. Can we get another guy and them go, no, you agreed. Six versus six, you agreed. You know, Phoenix can't come. The, he's, he's out. Well, too bad. You got five. We got six. Let's go. This Sunday, Wembley. So, so it's good heat. Example, that's good heat. <laughs> that's good heat. That example, the Jungle Hook example, the Golden Vampire example, all these examples I'm giving you are just very big. I, I don't think I'm a booking genius, Rich. These are all very basic time-tested ideas that work. They have 97 people in that room. None of them bring these things up to get out of these jams, to maybe make a card ahead of time and then build to it. Oh, they did that. And then they ripped it up. My bad. My bad. Then they decided, well, we need to juice this thing up. We're going to do Young Bucks FTR. And then the rest of the card fell apart. So uh, my apologies. They did have a card planned. We're just not going to see that card. It's a fucking mess. And you know what? At the end of the day, it's gonna fucking rock and be one of the yeah. It's gonna be it's gonna be an incredible show. So, These pay per views always rule. And again, they'll be bailed out by their incredible talent roster, one of the greatest talent rosters ever assembled. And they're gonna go out there and have a kick ass match in front or a kick ass show in front of a, a gigantic crowd that's gonna make a ton of noise and be really happy. But it does definitely feels like at some point this is gonna be untenable that you can't just keep doing this. But I don't know. Maybe they can. Maybe this is what this company is gonna be. It's just fucking chaotic, and then the pay per views are gonna come and they're gonna be great. So I don't know. 
At some point, Maybe. it feels like that's got to ex- expire at some point. But I don't know. I, well, you know. You know my feeling. Too many cooks. But that's a conversation for another day that we've already had here a million times. Let's yep. go over to Carter. Probably not going to change either anytime soon. Uh, let's start with the uh, AEW World title match here. MJF versus Adam Cole. I guess we can du- we'll can we double book this here. We'll do the zero hour, of course. I think a very – we talked about it last week. A very cool concept here, I think, to do the ROH World Tag Team title match, uh, Aussie Open versus Adam Cole and MJF. On the zero hour. Now, I think that's a really, really good idea from a business standpoint, too, because anybody who's not watching the show that maybe watches Dynamite regularly or watches Collision or, or casually watches AEW or whatever, the hope is that they tune in. They're interested in this Adam Cole and MJF story. They tune into the zero hour and then they see this show in front of 80,000 people and 90,000, however many people are going to be there and go, fuck, I got to order this damn show. And they order the show. This, this, I think, is a great idea to put. Not only does it work in the story, it works for the angle, it works for everything, but also, yeah, from a business standpoint, there's there's ways to get people to buy pay-per-view shows on, on, on a pre-show, and then there's this. I mean, this is the ultimate cheat code, possibly, for, for getting people to buy this show if you're just on the fence and not quite sure that you're going to see that atmosphere and, and, and see this. You're going to say, shit, I, how can I miss this show? I can't miss this show. i got to watch this. So I'm, I'm excited to watch it. I think it's going to be a really, really smart booking uh, to put it on the zero-hour uh, as well, and, and we talked about it a little bit last week of who knows, um, tons of different scenarios you could play out here. Uh, they could just win the titles. They could have miscommunication. You could straight up just have one of the guys turn on the other guy uh, at this point. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it could go a multitude of different ways, and I don't know which one I can predict. And I think that with with, with that being said, you know, now that we, we we're, we're here with the MJF Adam Cole thing, I liked the promos on Dynamite. I liked. A lot of the MJF Adam Cole stuff I liked. The problem was the stuff that I disliked, the Aoi, the Chinese food is too hot, and the trampoline park were so bad and so awful that it makes me think that I hated this build. But when you actually get down to it, this build is pretty good, and I enjoy it. I just wish we could have not done the pre-tapes. And you didn't need the pre Everything else was perfectly fine without those pre-tapes. And, 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 and I'm, at, I'm looking forward to it because I don't know which way it's going to go. Like I said, in, the, in, the, in that zero hour, they could win the tag team titles. MJF could turn on Cole. Cole t- could turn on MJF. Come to the main event, I have no idea. Adam Cole could win the title. MJF could you know, cheat to win the title. Adam Cole could cheat to win the title. Roger Strong can cheat. Roger Strong can turn on Cole. Roger Strong can, can be right, and Cole and Roger Strong turn on MJF. I don't know, and that's kind of fun and kind of interesting. So they've done a good job with it. We got here, and they've done a good job, and I'm interested in this story now when at different points of this, I was groaning because we were doing the – just the worst fucking pre-tapes ever, but we're here, and when you really boil it down, this has been a very, very good story. Yeah, I guess so. I'm not really into it. I, um, They lost me with all the goofiness, and, uh, you know, I, I understand what they're doing with the pre-show match. I think it's a good idea. A lot of people are ripping that Aussie open tag, but it's going to set the stage for what happens later in the show. Right, it's and gonna it's going to be a, it's a big match a that people idea. are going to want to watch. People are going to want to watch that for free and, and watch that's it on right. YouTube and stuff. No, that's a, it's, it's a, a great idea. It's a great idea. That's, yeah, it's all a great idea. And and the problem is MJF is going to hit that kangaroo kick and 90,000 people are going to lose their minds and my soul is just going to leave my body. <laughs> I, I, it's disgusting. It's gross. Um, but it is what it is, I guess. But uh, and then you got Jack Perry versus Hook too, which obviously has been built. You know, I, I can't complain about um, them doing that match here, despite the fact that I think the team should have been together longer uh, to build more of an ev- emotional investment in the split. But um, I'm glad they're doing the match because a lot of times they don't even do the match anymore in this company, which is baffling. 
and I don't understand. Um, but anyway. Uh, so you got that, uh, of course. So we'll see what uh, ends up happening there. I mean, I, prediction-wise, I, I don't know if I have a good prediction. On who's, what, what do the betting lines say uh, for Cole and MJ? Ah, uh, you want the betting lines. Okay. Yeah. Um, Aussie Open is minus 250. Okay. I think they're winning the match, too. So um, MJF and Adam Cole are plus 180. And there are no odds on Hook versus the Jungle Boy. Right. Oh, by the Jack way, Hook and Jungle Boy is now on the uh, the pre-show. Didn't I just say that? Yeah, no, I just, I'm just reiterating just how weird it is that, that they just kind of threw this match on the pre-show. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I guess so. I <laughs> it should be a pretty... Uh, it feels like a bigger match, but uh, well, whatever. Just, it is what it is. All right. Uh, and then uh, as far as the main event, uh, MJF and Cole, what, what what are the odds for that one? Because I, I don't... Um, I feel like MJF's probably going to win still, take but... Take a stab at him. I'd say MJF is probably a... F- favorite i would say minus 300 or so somewhere in that range you're close he's you're close he's four to one he's minus 400 okay all right that's that's pretty one, good well one to four rather yeah um cole is three to one he's plus 300 so you were right you were close you were in the neighborhood yeah that that sounds that that feels about right to me i i wouldn't bet that with your money i i have no inch that that i i don't know i yeah i think mjf comes out of here with it but I, that's pretty unpredictable. Oh no, I'm, I'm not betting that one either. I, I, that 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 one, like I said, I I could just as easily see Adam Cole hitting that Panama Sun or Roderick Strong coming out and and clocking MJF with a you know something, and then Cole hitting that Panama Sunrise and winning that title. I could absolutely see that happening too. So I'm uh, definitely not betting that one. Uh, FTR versus the Young Bucks, AEW World Tag Team Title Match. Uh, I I'm glad this match is happening because it's going to be good. I just don't really know why it's happening. <laughs> But uh, and the promos uh, didn't quite help me on Dynamite this week either. So, well, the the sit down promo was horrendous. That sucked. I I don't know how they didn't reshoot that. Yeah. That what? Was, so what am I supposed to gather out of that? I don't know. It was really bad. Um. But th- look, they might have the match of the year. Oh, it's gonna be fucking incredible. Yeah, of course. In front of that crowd, you know, they had to wrestle the first part of their feud in the pandemic era. They tried to hold off until fans came back. Yeah. They didn't hold off any yeah. longer. They're wrestling in front of 90,000 people in the rubber match. Those those four guys are going to be gunning to have the match of the year. That match is going to be spectacular. I don't have any doubt about it. I don't even care who wins. The match is going to be spectacular. Oh, it's going to work uh, for that crowd, too. It's just going to yeah, it, 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 yeah. be phenomenal. FTR is plus 120. The Bucks are minus 160. Sure, <laughs> sounds fine. Yeah, I, you I, know, if I had to bet that match, I'm taking the plus side of the money because it's a coin flip match. I, yeah, me. I think I would probably take FTR if I if I was a betting man. I'm just taking whoever has the plus side of the money. Right. I'm gonna go for value in a in a in a in a situation like that. Uh, the tradition continues. AEW Women's World Title Four Way Match: Akarushita, Soraya, Tony Storm, and Doctor Britt Baker DMD. I think they're going to add Chris Statlander versus Ruby Soho at some point. Okay. This Ma- main show, zero hour, what do you think? I don't have any inside information. I just think that match is going to get added to this show in some form. Because, look, Ruby's going to be there. She's going to be cornering Soraya and uh, and Tony, right? So, And it, it would be a second women's match. There's only one women's match on the show. There's only two matches on the pre-show. I think they're going to add Statlander versus Ruby Soho. That's just a prediction. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But... um. You know, she beat Sky Blue last night after saying she wanted to get 
a win under her belt and then go after Statlander. So it all makes sense. Um, the four way, I don't know who's going to win. I don't who care who cares. Win. I don't have any interest whatsoever in this. Um, How could you? What have they done to give you interest in this match? What have they done, Joe Sixpack? You're not Joe Lanza, you're Joe Sixpack, watching at home, watching Dynamite every single week. What reason have they given you to be interested in this match in any way, shape, or form? Why I would you I'd care? Like Tony, I, I guess I would like Tony Storm to win because she was a really good champion. Sure. But why does Joe Sixpack want to watch this match? I don't know. Just for the tradition, uh, I guess. The tradition continues. He's, he's a part of history. Ah, yes. The grand tradition. Four-way <laughs> women's matches. Sheeta is a heavy favorite. She's even money. Uh, Soraya is plus 125. So they think that they're going to uh, go with the old hometown. Uh, can you imagine? I don't, dude, I don't think she's going to get a hometown welcome there. Uh, we'll see. Brit's plus 400 and Tony Storm is plus 600. Ooh, I like that Tony bet. I don't hate that Tony bet. We'll see. Um, Coffin tag team match. Christian Cage and Swerve Strickland versus Darby and Sting. All right. That's been taken off the board because the match changed. Uh, So I don't have odds for you. But, um, yeah, it's Coffin match and Sting and Darby are going to win. And (laughs) I don't know. I guess. How many times is Christian going to get buried in a coffin? He hasn't already been buried in a coffin in this company. Yeah, he got buried alive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Darby. I guess he got. Yeah, I guess he was buried alive, not in a coffin. So I guess it's different. But well, Darby's going to wrestle the dinosaur on All Out, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. No, that's a match for All Out, right? Uh, yes, yes, yeah. So it could change, Joe. I know you're asking me. It's not like (laughs) the precedent is that I don't know because it could change. (laughs) You're right that it's been announced and booked and on the boards, but it could definitely change. We got we're two two weeks out, baby. I don't know. You tell me what's on the show. Uh, Bullet Club Gold, Jay White and Juice Robinson, as along with Kanosuke Takeshita versus the Golden Elite, Adam Page, Kenny, and Kota Ibushi. Yeah, it should be really good. Uh, <laughs> Again, uh, it will be a great match. I don't know why I'm watching it, but it's going to be a great match. Sure seems like Juice is there to eat a pen. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, God, yes. And then we'll get uh, to Kenny. Look, they're pretty cheap. Minus 300. Pretty cheap. You think we get uh, Takeshita and, and, and Omega at All Out? I think so. Okay, we'll good. See. I'll be there, so I, I, I like that. I mean, I, it seems to be where they're going here, right? I mean, <laughs> sure. <laughs> can you hold off till another pay per view? Uh, uh, them, no, <laughs> probably not anymore. But yeah. Uh, stadium Stampede. Five versus five, as we all knew it was going to be. Uh, best friends, Chuck Taylor and Trent Beretta. Eddie Kingston, Gorge Cassidy, and Penta versus the Blackpool Combat Club. Claudio, Moxley, Utah, as well as the returning Mike Santana and Ortiz. Yeah, once again, this is not on the board due to the changes. This has been taken off the board. The integrity of the... Uh gambling community <laughs> they cannot stand these last um, minute changes yeah yeah they're annoyed too yeah i don't know look people are gonna love this um i don't know how this is gonna work in a building of that size um i don't i don't know how you're gonna be able to catch all the action busy night for the director um 
But, you know, these matches don't do as much for me as they do for other people, and I'm not looking forward to it. I have to be honest. I'm not looking forward to this at all. I'm an Anarchy in the Arena guy. I'm not a Stadium Stampede guy, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. I can maybe adjust well, I here. Think that, I think it's going to be an Anarchy in the Arena, but they're just calling it because they're in a stadium. Right. I, 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 I agree. I think you're probably right. But... I am hoping they will pre-tape something goofy and make 90,000 people watch a pre That's what I'm hoping they do. <laughs> watch them fighting in, you know, the arena the night before or something. Yeah, that, that, that'd be good. Yeah, yeah I, that's what I hope they do, and it gets booed out of the building. But, uh, <laughs> Show a pre-tape, yeah. I, I don't know. It's going to be an it's, – it, I think they're going to brawl around. It's going to be – no, it's going to be a no-DQ building brawl, walking brawl, you know, um, probably some wild spots that they have planned or whatnot. Yeah, I'm but, sure it'll um, be. I, I, I think I'll like it better than you when it's all said and done. You will. It'll yeah. be crowd-pleasing. People will love it, and I will be grumpy. You'll be grumpy, and everybody will say that you're no fun Lanza. Yeah. So. Rich, I just want to watch people wrestle. You know what I mean? I just, I don't know. I just, I, I'd rather they just do a five on five tag team match. Australian rules. Hold the tag rope, make the tag. Side headlock takeovers. You know, could be I'd a lot be of happy heat. With you that. get a lot of heat in those types of matches. We saw it in Japan. Always That's it. right. Old. I don't, I don't need all these shenanigans. What's next? A uh, match that I probably, I think FTR and, and Young Bucks is my most anticipated match of the night, but this one's probably number two. Chris Jericho versus Will Ospreay. I thought the promos last night were exceptional. I don't know what you thought of them. I thought both guys were great. I thought Will, speaking from the heart, talking about how he's got to get money. The, the, he, he's, he's worried about money at this point. He's worried about paying bills, paying for his child. I've, took, I've taken on a stepson. I've taken on a partner. I'm looking at my career. I'm doing all these things. I'm doing it for money, and I got six months of my contracts done, and I'm hoping that I have Chris Jericho, Kenny Omega, and Kazuchi Okada on my hit list. I will beat you all and and I'm gonna go into contract season with that on my on my back and me being one of the greatest wrestlers in the world and I need this for the money, so don't tell me what I, I'm doing this for type of thing. I loved Will's promo. Great, great stuff. Speaking from the heart. And Chris Jericho right back at him. Right back at him saying, Hey, I told you I, I talked to you many, many years ago and told you to slow down so you could stay in this business and stay alive and and and, and I'm at the mountaintop and you're trying to get to my mountaintop and you're not there yet, pal. So it's just yeah, great, great stuff out of Jericho, great stuff out of Osprey. And uh I'm fascinated by this match. I mean, the build to it has been a little wonky. It's been a little strange. The Callus Jericho stuff, uh, which speaks to we, we didn't even bring that up. And I don't know what you think about the Callus Jericho story. I know we've never talked about it, but that was another one, too, that felt like it was going in a direction. Then it went in this direction. And then it like you could have I, I don't know. It just felt like we were spending five weeks teasing Jericho going with Callus. And then we spent two minutes with him with Callus. And then 10 seconds later, he's feeding with Callus again. I don't know. I just was like, I feel like you could have done a little more with that but regardless whatever it, it, it it's i meant to, i'm really looking forward to this match because i want to see will in there with the guy like jericho i want to see if jericho can get to will's level at this point in terms of where uh will wrestles in, in 2023 which is he's no doubt the best wrestler in the world uh, at this point will will he adapt to jericho's game will jericho adapt to his game will they meet in the middle these are two tremendous pro wrestlers i'm sure they're going to find a way to meet in the middle i'm just fascinated how it's going to all work and how it's going to look and how it's going to feel but man i think it's going to be a a spectacular match. I'm not betting against Will Ospreay in 2023, and, I, and I'm not betting against Chris Jericho in a big spot either. Yeah, no, I agree. I thought the contract signing, both guys were fantastic. I talked about it behind the paywall on the uh, on the on the on the TV review, and you know, I, I wish Will Ospreay had a had a match where he can you know go out there and have a, a you know a, a match of the year caliber match, but maybe he'll drag Chris Jericho to one. 
You know, now the intrigue for me is, can he drag Chris Jericho to one? Because, you know, again, you know, the story aspect to me here is secondary. That's whatever. Um, I, I'm curious, and can Chris Jericho step up and have a great match with the best wrestler in the world? We'll see. Yeah, I, I'm fascinated. I'm just fascinated by the, the how this all kind of comes together. But yeah, we'll we'll we'll, we'll see. Um, real AEW <laughs> World. I can't believe we're doing a real title thing. Ah, Jesus Christ! CM Punk versus Samoa Joe defending the quote unquote real AEW World title. Yeah, I, I'm not a fan of this real world title thing. I, I especially uh, when one party doesn't <laughs> acknowledge it at all. So, yeah, it's it's like uh, you know, from the inside they're saying, "Well, this is Collision's title." I think that's uh, just a hard, it's a fake title. If we're doing it, if we're doing Collision titles, then I'm fucking forget it, man. Then yeah, we're... that's such a mistake, you know. And it's it's you know, I know it's not officially a Collision title, and it's really just CM Punk's thing, but it's essentially. You know, basically the interim title is back. It's the guy who didn't lose it in the ring, and he's running around with a version of the title, too. I just, I don't know. I, I don't think it really adds anything. I, I'm not a fan of it at all. Um, and I think it like it, it, could, it, it could easily is the kind of thing that can spiral out of control. Um, I don't need a whole set of collision titles. I really don't. Um, but, yeah, it's Samoa Joe. It's CM Punk. You know, poor Ricky Starks is really getting screwed here. Um, you know... We, I didn't talk about it before, but, you know, it, it, here's the other thing. If Ricky Starks is doing the I'm suspended and I have a manager's license deal, then wouldn't the logical thing be to have Ricky Starks manage Samoa Joe in this match, cost CM Punk the bout, and then continue the feud that way? But, I mean, unless they're going to do that as a surprise, and I have no indication that Ricky Starks is going to be in London... I mean, then what the hell's the point of Ricky Starks being a manager then? The natural thing to do is to come out with Samoa Joe and fucking manage him and cost Punk the match. And then a week later at All Out, you do Punk versus Ricky Starks in a strap match or the loser gets 10 lashes or something like that with this story with the whipping and the belt and everything. Right? Am I crazy here? No, you're you're asking too much in this company right now. We can't get there. So, am I reinventing the wheel? Is what I'm saying revolutionary? Uh, no. But um, well, what the fuck are they doing then? I don't. I don't like, know. Why isn't Ricky Starks managing Samoa Joe in Wembley, costing Punk the match, and then Punk says Ricky Starks I had enough of your shit. I've had enough of you whipping my friend Ricky Steamboat. We're having a strap match, or the loser takes ten lashes, or whatever. Something having to do with the belt at All Out. In we'll, we'll, we'll do this match, and then they'll come back, and then the week between All Out and All In, or All In and All Out, they'll yeah. do some angle, and then they'll build to the match. Yeah. But they need to have some kind of match incorporating that. The the, the, the yeah, I'm sure they'll build it in in the hour of collision that they talk about it. Right. I mean, the, the right thing to do is have Ricky Starks come out through the crowd run in and cost punk the match or, 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 or whatever. But yeah, I, I don't know. You believe they're going to do it. The right thing to do is have him manage. Well, Cause he does have a manager's why? license. You're right. They did the whole manager. Why else did they do the manager? I always like, forget the manager's license thing. Joe, I don't know why they did the manager's license thing. Cause they didn't want to take the, the guy point? off TV, but they did the stuff spending thing. I don't know. I don't know. I and don't know. What the fuck was the point of it? To I come don't out know. And big bill one week <laughs> against a jobber. Ricardo brings up a good point in the uh, note of chat room. Samoa Joe doesn't seem like the guy that would want a manager either. 
Nobody should manage Samoa Joe, right? Is Samoa Joe the booker? I'm confused. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, but I get what he's saying. Like Samoa Joe is not the kind. Uh, yeah, like if, if would, Ricky if Stark he... said, "I'm going to come out and help you in your match with yeah, Punk," Samoa Joe would go, "Get the fuck out of here! <laughs> fuck you! I don't want you! Yeah, get out of here!" Well, the guy's going to help him win the, the the fake title, though. Yeah, but he's a fighter. Heels. Ah, Samoa Joe is a prize fighter. He's not going to have somebody help him win the title. All right. Well, then why? Okay. Then why is Ricky? I Stark don't know. <laughs> Stop yelling at me! I don't know. None of this makes sense. <laughs> no. No, it does not. The House well, of Ricky Black. Starks needs to come to ringside. <laughs> All right, let's say you you don't. Joe wouldn't want that. He needs to come to ringside with the and and the excuse he has is that he has a manager's license. Right. He has right, to cost. Right. He should be costing CM Punk the match, and then CM Punk should be challenging him to a strap match, and then CM Punk should be beating him in Chicago and whipping him with the fucking belt to blow off the feud. Am I, the, am I the one on crazy pills? Yeah, I think you are. Yeah, you're trying to add logic to the AEW booking right now. And that's a... I think it's a losing battle, unfortunately, right now. So This was the summer. Remember we talked about the summer where they were going to put it all together? Oh, my God. The show's going to be great. Yeah. Like, I mean that. The show's going to oh, be great. Oh, it's going to be phenomenal. Yeah, we have a House of Black. We, one more match, by the way. House of Black, Brody King, Buddy Matthews, Malachi Black versus the acclaimed Bowens, Caster, Billy Gunn. Badass Punk, Billy Gunn. Punk is- Punk is minus 800, by the way. Minus um, 800. Okay. All right. I, I, I don't have odds on the uh, Billy Gunn deal. I might throw a, throw a few units on the uh, my man Joe. I think they should have done the Billy Gunn thing at all out, not all in. I think you're burning prime real estate in that magical atmosphere on a guy that's 55 years old. I don't mind the story. It's not for me. I don't care about it, but I don't mind that they're doing it. I think it would be better suited for All Out than All In. Or better suited for a TV match or something. Yeah, I get it. I guess it depends how... I I, I get it. I, I really do. If it's this official send-off or whatever, and this is how you're going to let him go or whatever, I, it's, I guess it's a cool atmosphere. Like you're saying, it's a lot of work for a guy that's you're never going to do anything more with, and, and the rub isn't going to... Well, the, there was a time where be... the rub was going to the acclaim, but now it's going to just feel like it's a badass Billy Gunn retirement match, and the acclaimed are just long for the ride type of thing. Which yeah, he's going to be Mister Ass Rich now. Yeah. They, they're getting all the trademarks. So, um, that was a rumor going around last week. They were trying to get the Ass Man song, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um, last night it, it appears as though they did because last night he said that uh, Daddy Ass isn't allowed in the UK, but Mister Ass is. So. The backstory behind that. I think he said badass. I think he said a badass. Badass Billy Gunn. My bad. Yeah. One of the WWE trademarks is the point. Um, Yeah, he did say badass Billy Gunn. And I know they were trying to get the music. And the backstory behind that was uh, there's they've been negotiating with WWE for the music and the trademarks, I guess. But it was some kind of deal where um, there's some kind of. Billy Billy Gunn has some legal claim that he's willing to drop if they give them the rights to use this stuff or something. That's that's how we got here. Okay, yeah, he he got. If you remember, he so, got fired in, in a weird way because it was like he was a trainer or uh, a yeah. producer. I don't and know then specifics. He tested but... positive for steroids and they fired. So yeah, maybe he's got something on them and he's like, I'll let it go if you just. The lawyers are working it out and. Based on that promo, I think man. Gonna... <laughs> I love all this work. So that, oh, I don't know if I need that, but uh, I'm sure 90,000 people are going to go nuts for it. So whatever. Yeah. Fine. <laughs> Who cares? 
show's gonna rock i mean it's... i you know, the acclaimed the acclaimed deserve a spot on the show um they're over as fuck you know i just i don't know billy gunn really he gets a prime <laughs> he gets prime real estate yeah when there's a lot of guys on that roster that busted their ass for that years aren't on the show, yeah you know and it's it's um and are being featured on tv and aren't on the show and and there's only one women's match if you want to go down that road i do um, not <laughs> no i do not want to go down that <laughs> yeah, road no thanks and we're giving prime real estate to to, to, to billy gunn I, I don't know whatever i, I don't know I mean, you know, that whole Jeff Jarrett crew, they've been doing good work and yeah. they've been getting over and, you know, they're not on the show and, um, you know, uh, Ricky Starks isn't on the show and Chris Statlander is a champion and she's not on the show. I, I don't know. Uh, Enjoy ass man, I guess. I <laughs> enjoy the song, but uh, yeah, it's still gonna be great. I'm sure we're I still gonna love it. I might enjoy that. I might get up and groove. Yeah, yeah, you're gonna, you're gonna be. Yeah, it's gonna hit. And you're gonna. I'm an ass man. I love to hug him. I love to squeeze <laughs> yeah, See, you're already getting. I to love it. to bite him. I love to fuck him. You know, however. I goes. don't. I don't think fuck him was a part of the lyric. They're not far off though. Not far off the ass man lyrics. I love to plug him. I love to lick him. <laughs> I like to fuck him. Isn't that how it goes? A little different. A little different. He says, I love to love him, kick him, shove him, stick him, flaunt him, watch him, pick him. Pick him's a weird one. Uh, Kick him. Pick him. Pick him's a weird one. I guess maybe like pick the good ones, but I don't know the way it uh, interprets is. Yeah, he likes to. Uh, We all pick our ass from time to time. I (laughs) I guess, yeah. He loves to do it. He wants wants the world to know. Sometimes you got to get in there and dig one out. You know, it's it happens. Um. That's some preview for the biggest wrestling show of all time. I can tell you that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, you're not gonna not gonna get that anywhere else. But uh, uh, yeah, we'll be going live uh, immediately following the show. Instant Ration Live at uh, flagshippatreon.com, Patreon.com/slash Voices of Wrestling, uh, and Voices of slash Patreon. Again, immediately following the show. Uh, and again, if you are on Fight, uh, make sure you order that on uh, Voices of slash Fight. Uh, if you're planning on ordering the show. On Fight TV. So, Joe, we are just you gotta about... got to get the live instant. you got to get that $10 tier because then All Out is the next week as well. Right. You're going to get a lot. Yeah, you're going to get a lot of stuff for that, that $10 uh, from, from, yeah, from us. So you and... get the two live instant reactions within a week of each other. you got to... You got So just upgrade right now or subscribe right now. Absolutely. Yeah, we got the two instant reactions. Uh, you're going to get a lot of other content as well. A lot of stuff going up right now. I just posted my new Sky's the Limit. Uh, you just posted a Thursday Dynamite Reviews. You just did your July Notebook Roundup, the best matches of July. Uh, the match of the week that we've talked about a lot during the Terry Funk times. I have my AWF series uh, about the uh, early territory, 1994 territory of uh, Paul uh, uh American Wrestling Federation. Plenty of other stuff. i got some other retro series hopefully uh, getting ready to go. My Shockmaster uh, audio documentary about the anniversary of the Shockmaster uh, is up there as well. So plenty and plenty of stuff available for you. Uh, $10 tier unlocks all of it. All of our written content, all of our audio content, all of our live content. Uh, for $10 over at flagshippatreon.com. All right, so we are overtime. Get up! What... Get up! Get up! Get up! Get up! Get up! Go on! Woo! Oh, baby. Nick Senzel back from AAA. I'm in a pennant race. I'm sorry, okay. Rich. A pennant race? Are you in a pennant race? Yes. What do you mean? I guess wow, you're in a pennant a race. Huge homer in the top of the eight. Aren't you in third place? Woo! 
season ends today. We're in the playoffs. What are you talking about? Okay. All right. And we're playing the team right on a half game behind us, Arizona. Okay. Yeah, huge series. All right. Listen, I understand you haven't had much excitement. <laughs> I'm your just White jealous. I'm just jealous. Years. Shut up. All right. But <laughs> this is what it feels like to yeah, be in uh, late yeah. August to be playing uh, big games. Interesting. You know? Yeah, watching the your Rich, team. I still. haven't had much either, so <laughs> you gotta, you know, this is exciting. You know, jeez. Wow, that's a huge home run. Anyway, um, what were we talking about here? Uh, the the show that we're doing, the the podcast, the flagship podcast that we're doing. Uh, we are yes. over time, so I don't know what you want to do here. We can either bust through Rev Pro and the rest of All In Weekend and NWA 75 uh, in 10 minutes, or I don't know. You want to go overrun? Do we, do we dust overrun. off the overrun? Okay. For people that have never done the overrun before, we are going to take a brief break, maybe a minute or two, collect our thoughts, go to the bathroom. We will come back. If you're on the live, do not leave. You can just stick around. You're going to get the rest of the show on the overrun. If you are listening on the free podcast feed, we are done here for tonight. We'll sign off. And then if you want the additional audio, which is going to be our all-in weekend preview, we're going to talk about the uh, NWA 75. We're going to talk about the other shows going on during all-in, including a RevPro uh, 11th anniversary show. All that stuff is going to happen on the overrun. It will be on the $5 tier on our Patreon. Flagship, patreon.com, patreon.com slash voices of wrestling or voices of wrestling dot com slash patreon so again if you're on the live feed stick around we'll be with you in a minute if you're on the free feed that's joe i'm rich we'll talk to you next time on the flagship podcast take care cheering at pro wrestling shows in japan is back and 2023 is already shaping up to be a big year in the history of pro res that's why you should listen to the emerald flow show from the royal road to the green mat paul and gerard take you into the world of all japan pro wrestling and pro wrestling noah not only do we analyze events but we examine business, who is getting over, what angles are working, or not. Occasionally, we take a look at other Japanese promotions like DDT and Zero One. So if you're looking for more coverage of the world of Japanese wrestling, check out the Emerald Flow Show on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network, available on all of your favorite podcast apps. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park